Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Jessica Lagnado about Mercury retrograde and what it means in the context of astrology. Uh, this is episode 276. We're recording on Thursday, October 22nd, 2020, starting at 2.57 p.m. in Denver, Colorado. And I think that's a full like hour after we were supposed to start because we're having <laughs> Mercury retrograde issues right now. Welcome back to the, the show, Jessica. Thank you so much. Uh, two things. First thing, what an accomplishment. It's a lot of fucking episodes. And you. you're welcome. I know it's a lot of effort and work and all the things. And also, we are the embodiment of the very transit we are meant to talk about. We have had almost all of the things that could go wrong with the Mercury retrograde. Yeah, have have happened basically because yeah. we're so we're <laughs> in keeping with our topic. We're recording this during a Mercury retrograde for those who discover this episode at some point in the future when this retrograde is just like a historical footnote about the one that led up to the US election and and whatever the hell takes place on November 3rd, 2020. Um so in keeping with that, we're going to do a whole episode just talking about what Mercury retrograde means, introducing the concept, um talking about also perhaps what it doesn't mean or how it's sometimes overplayed and basically just doing a, a deep dive into this topic. So uh, Jessica, for those that don't know, is the host of the Always Fabulous Ghost of a Podcast, which how many episodes are you up to at this point? 152 or three, I can't remember. So Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're, Thank you. you're getting yeah. up there. You're cranking them out as well. And <laughs> um, more recently, you are currently heading up a project that you've been promoting over the past few months called Zodiac the Vote, where you're trying to help um, sort of get out the vote basically amongst astrologers and astrology enthusiasts, right? Yeah, that's right. And also to give a little bit more of the why. You know, I mean, something so, so beautiful about astrology is that we have this ability, oh, look at you, sharing is caring. Thank yeah. you. Uh yeah, I mean, for us it's really so we so there's like two major things we're doing here. One is we have astrologers writing about things that are relevant to social and political issues. Mm -hmm. And of course, we have cute astrology swag because I feel like a cute astrology shirt is worth a lot. And then look at you, look at you sharing screens like a pro. And then the other thing is we created the Mercury Retrograde Voter Survival Guide, which yes. is uh, such a valuable resource in my view. So I teamed up with this woman, Lindsay Scola, who's a political strategist who worked for a decade with Obama and after he became president with his administration. And so she's just amazing. And she and I kind of teamed up in this really exciting way to create this resource. And it's downloadable. It's clickable, the thing that you're seeing on your screen. Um, so it can go with you to the polls. And, you know, it has even things like the phone number to call if you see voter intimidation at the polls. You know, we tried to make something really comprehensive because we know, we as in you and me, that with both Mercury and Mars retrograde for this election, in this political climate, as we lead up to that Pluto return of the United States, while we have all these planets in Capricorn, these outer planets in Capricorn, I mean, we could keep on listing. There's a lot of cause for concern, and we can wring our hands in fear, or we can mobilize and create actionable tools. And I feel like as an astrologer, we're well poised to create actionable tools for people because we don't just know what's happening, we know what's coming. <laughs> so it's like a special thing. So anyways, I'm, I'm really excited about Zodiac the Vote. I'm really proud of it. Yeah, well, forewarned is forearmed. And um, since we see some stuff coming up, and since Mercury goes in 20-year cycles, we know the last time there was a 
retrograde leading up to the election was 20 years ago uh, during the 2000 election, where everything just went crazy and it was evenly split between candidates and it wasn't resolved until like six weeks later by the Supreme Court. So astrologers are kind of anticipating something. So it's good that you're trying to do something proactive. And I think that shows you know, a little bit of uh, how astrologers actually deal with Mercury retrograde in practice, which is that you don't just not do anything. You just try to roll with it and be as proactive as you can. Yes. And doing that within the context of the vote seems like really smart. Thank you. I, I think so too. And I think it's also a great way for people to see that astrology is not just about doomsday predictions. It's about being like, oh, if this is the energy I'm working with, then how do I need to adjust my behavior? Or how do I need to adjust my attitude? And I think, you know, the risk of using astrology without common sense is that you forget that. You go into this mode of like, oh no, I can't, I need a job, but it says don't do job interviews during Mercury retrograde. I guess I'll be, I'll suffer. It's like, no, you just make sure that you, you know, buttoned your your pants after you went to the bathroom and you make sure there's no food in your teeth and then you go to the job interview. You just be extra careful, you know. Uh, so uh, yeah, so there's there's so much to say about that. But I will say personally, and I'm curious about you, I do all the things that you're technically not supposed to do during a Mercury retrograde. Mm. I do all, them, all of them. I mean, I'm usually careful and when I can avoid them, I do, but I do the things. How about you? Yeah, I usually do it and just try to roll with it and understand when, that the process is going to take late, late, longer or there's going to be more delays or it's going to be more annoying sometimes. But sometimes in doing that, you end up creating something better than maybe you would would have if there wasn't some sort of struggle in some sense. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think the the retrogrades are always an opportunity. And you know, we're talking about Mercury retrograde, but Mars is also retrograde, which is more rare. And I think a really important part of this Mercury retrograde, it's hard to talk about it for me without talking about the Mars retrograde because there nothing exists in isolation, right? Um, right. It's just that people know, non-astrologers know more about Mercury retrograde than Mars retrograde. So yeah, but, but right. I think it's Let really, oh, sorry, what were you going to say? Maybe we should pause that and do that later. I want to before just tell people the URL, which is just zodiacthevote.com, or you can also find it on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under Zodiac the Vote as well. Um, so wanted to plug that right at the beginning. Let's transition into like setting up this topic like we normally would um, when talking about Mercury, as if this is somebody's like first time being exposed to this concept and what it is and, and why it matters. And then let's um, talk about like the current one a little bit later once we set that up. Great. Sorry. So Great. Um, square one is the planet Mercury. What what is the planet Mercury in astrology and what does it what does it mean to you? I am so excited to be talking to you about this because you and I, I have so much respect for your astrology, and you and I use astrology practically like in terms of utility differently. Mm. Um, so I'm actually really excited about getting to talk to you about this. Um what is Mercury? I mean, we can do the list. Let's do the list. But then okay. I actually like, I'm excited to actually like pull out like a little shovel and dig because I have so much to say about Mercury. But Mercury is what you say. It's how you listen. It's your attitudes. It's your beliefs. It's your friends and pals and colleagues. Uh, Mercury is your, it's all about like the platonic side of connection and interconnection. That's mm. my quick list. What's yours? Yeah, uh, very similar. It's like Mercury signifies like communication, travel, media, technology. Um, in Greek mythology, Mercury was the messenger of the gods. 
Um, but astronomically, I always find it interesting that Mercury is um, the closest planet to the sun. And to the extent that the sun kind of represents um, in ancient astrology, like knowing or um, truly knowing something at some core level, Mercury is the the go between and the planet that has to transmit the concept of like knowing something to the rest of the planets. So it serves this important role as uh, sort of transactional or um, communicating or transferring something. Basically, that which connects and transmits at the broadest level. Mm, that's really interesting. I like that. You know what i what I have come to theorize since social media and like pocket computers, which you know we think of those as like a huge part of our lives. It is a huge part of my life, but it's also a really new thing for humans. And what I and this really kind of what you're saying reinforces it. What I've come to believe is that Mercury more and more is holding the space of the ego differently than Mars, because Mars technically governs the ego. But because we are constantly communicating and, and being talked at and communicated to, this, there's this way that our identity, or our which is the sun, but our description of ourselves, our stories about ourselves, what we tell people of ourselves, I think they're becoming more intertwined because of the change in society. And so when I look at Mercury, um, I am looking at it from more of a psychological or psychodynamic perspective as a greater extension of the ego than it's ever been. I don't think that that is historically true, but I think it is currently true. Um, and so you, as you're framing it, it kind of makes sense. It's this kind of like it's directly connected to identity, the sun, right? Your sense of self, but it's the story you tell about it. It's not mm. just what it is. It's your story, which is yeah. complicated. And in a in a natal chart, like if we're talking about it purely in terms of a person's birth chart, like what Mercury signifies in in your birth chart or my birth chart, one of the analogies I sometimes use, or not analogies, but one of the ways that you could describe it sometimes is how a person communicates and how they express themselves, oftentimes verbally, but it can also be in writing or what have you. And sometimes that's kind of in alignment with the rest of their chart, or let's say with their sun. And so their sun sort of um, gets expressed through their Mercury. But sometimes when there's something going on with the Mercury, like a person could have an inability or could have obstacles communicating something that's inside of them, but it doesn't necessarily reflect that um, there's not something like intelligent inside of them, but just sometimes that they have an inability to um, you know, transfer that to the outside world as efficiently as like somebody else might. Like let's say somebody has a speech impediment, for example, that might show up if something's going on with Mercury. Let's say it's conjunct Saturn or opposed by Saturn, um, and like uh, Joe Biden, for example, grew up with like a stutter. Um, so that was something he had to like work through eventually. But it was describing something about his communication style and something that he like overcame eventually. Mm, interesting. Is yeah. That, I mean, yeah. how does that? How do you, how do you feel about? How do you feel about that in terms of? Communication style being described by Mercury. Do you feel like that's true, or in what absolutely. ways have you seen that work out in people's charts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, what I really believe, and this is something that I've, again, is like something I didn't believe at first as an astrologer, but after many years of consulting, is that verbal communication and listening skills are tightly connected more mm. than we really talk about in society in general. Um, and I think being able to verbally 
So it's about like, so there's your thoughts, then there's the organization of your thoughts, and then there's the ability uh, or confidence to to express what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people who are, they, they write the most beautiful words, but they can't verbally speak them. And that's oftentimes around self-esteem um, or about self-editing or like self-censure, which which is, I think, like related to that, any kind of Mercury Saturn aspects. Mm. Um, so I definitely think that's the case, but kind of the, the untold story underneath that I really think is listening. And it's whether we're talking about listening to the self and trusting what you hear and you, and what you perceive or listening to others, those are all mercurial, uh, things. And I think that they're directly related to our ability to, to verbalize. Or to write, because I kind of see them as like different versions of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think I warned you right before we started recording that I am one fidgety jerk. I just, am, I'm, con- I've worked so hard to be not fidgety. And this is as little fidgety as I ever get. I'm just constantly moving. I have Mercury and Aquarius in the first house. And it's okay. square by Uranus at the top of my chart. My chart is basically like, don't sit still, don't stop thinking, don't stop talking, keep on going. You know what I mean? So it's it's like for me as a as an astrologer, when I started to learn about my kind of mercurial nature, it taught me how to listen because mm. it, it revealed to me that I wasn't naturally good at listening because I was jumping ahead in that very mm-hmm. Aquarian Uranian way. And so I do see it as... Um, a really important part of the conversation that often gets left out when astrologers unpack Mercury. Um, so I, I, I'm going to keep on bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, I like that. So not just um, giving sort of verbally or communication, but also listening and how you receive information. Um, so you've, you've got Mercury in Aquarius square Uranus. I've got Mercury in Scorpio conjunct Saturn. That sort of like characterizes my uh, you know, investigative <laughs> yes. um, sort of style with astrology, but also, uh, oh yeah, but also like not, you know, you have much more entertaining, uh, quick, uh, kind of on the ball, you know, communication <laughs> style, which I appreciate. Mine is a little bit more slow, a little bit more plodding, a little bit more uh, boring. Some might say, some some listeners might say, but no. that's maybe what I like about you is it balances. We balance each other out nicely. Thank you very much. I feel like a living Muppet. Sometimes I feel like a fraggle. You know what I mean? I know who I am. I'm not going to judge me. But here's the interesting thing. It's like there's this way, and I feel like, and again, to everyone who's just listening to us, you know, we had a full hour of talking before this was recorded. So we talked about a lot of things. But I feel like, you know, there's also a way that the that Mercury and Scorpio, especially because it's touching Saturn, it gives you a gravitas, not just in your capacity to listen, although that Mercury Saturn gives a deep penetrating capacity to listen, but it also can give you a gravitas on when you say, which I think is also in your voice, like your your actual like vocal presentation is very um it's a very strong, deep presentation. And I think that 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 gravitas, other people respond to it. And some people might respond negatively or positively, but they respond to the kind of the Saturnianess of it or the depth of the of the Scorpio, right? And I think that this is where it's not just about how we listen, how others are listening or how we listen. It's about understanding that because my Mercury and Aquarius square by Uranus makes me kind of a living Muppet in some ways, people might be like, oh, she's being silly or, oh, I don't have to take that seriously uh, or, oh, I can't fucking listen to her because she talks so fast. I don't know what she's saying. 
Yes, I've or, heard that a lot. <laughs> or they're like, oh, I, I I like this because it's it's quick and she gets to the point and doesn't bore me and and is um, interesting and and keeps it moving. Thank you, thank you for giving me the positives. I was going deep yeah, triple yeah. Capricorn on your ass. Okay, sorry about that. But but you see what I'm saying is like how other people hear us is as much, it's about their charts, but it's also about our charts, right? Because mm. how somebody is going to hear a Saturnian Mercury is different than a Uranian Mercury. And there are pros and cons for all of it. Somebody who, mm. who's like, whatever your chart is, other people are going to respond to that chart and listen to you in part because of how your Mercury functions and in part because of how their Mercury functions. And this is where we get to the heart of astrology, the heart of the human condition, the heart of Mercury, which is interconnection, right? It's like mm -hmm. we, our Mercuries don't exist in a vacuum. Our capacity mm -hmm. to speak, listen, understand, conceptualize, research, these things are all, they're very personal, but they're also very public. They're relational. And so they're dynamic in that way. And, and I think that's um, something about Mercury that I love, like I love about Mercury. I'll also say, I wonder, I wonder, do you think therapy is related to Mercury? Like talk therapy? Yeah, I mean, that would make a lot of sense. They used, didn't they used to call it like the talking cure or something like that? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They, they call it like my analyst is another term for it, like right. which is pure Mercury. It's something that I think about a lot because the part of why people go to therapy is to be listened to. It's mm. not just to get something off your chest, but to have someone listen without judgment. Right. And I think again, there's this way that I I wanna I, I I want astrology students and astrology practitioners to really be thinking about how people listen, in part because as a consulting astrologer meeting with clients, understanding your client's mercury is in part understanding what they can hear. Mm. You know, as a triple Capricorn myself. I used to just like do two hour long readings and I would load people with just data, data, truth, reality, homework, all that kind of stuff. Right. And then I eventually realized people are just stumbling out of here. They're not getting enough value out of the experience because I've given them more than they can process. Mm. And so, you know, you don't have to give it all away. You, you want to think about what's impactful for your client. And I, I don't know if I'm like running off too far in a direction, but it's something that is really important with Mercury to think about what people can hear as much mm -hmm. as what you want to say, because they're not always the same thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it makes me think of, you mentioned consultations that traditionally in ancient astrology, they used to associate astrologers with Mercury and said that astrology and astrologers were signified by Mercury because uh, Mercury also signifies translators. And like when you hear one th language and then you process it, and then you retell it to somebody else in another language, and that astrologers play a similar intermediary role in like looking at charts and then interpreting them and then attempting to convey that information um, to clients or to other people in some way. I, I that love was... that. Yes. And that's a, such a good description of what astrologers do. We do translate a language, don't we? And we we it's almost like translating a language that only occurs in poetry that needs interpretation. <laughs> like it's not because it's not linear even if you're practicing very linear forms of astrology, it, because it's interpretive, its very nature is like, wait, what does this poem mean? What does this stanza mean? <laughs> like, what is this rule? Like, there are creative rules as well as kind of more linear Saturnian rules within our craft. And I think 
that throws some people off when they want there to be an answer, you know? Um, yeah. And there often isn't that, one. That it's um, it involves symbolism and the interpretation of symbolism and that symbolism has, well, it has a range of meaning. There's still an interpretive function to it um, rather than something that's just like one plus one equals two. Like there's there's certainly a math element of it in astrology, which is like the ephemeris and the astronomical positions. But astrology is the interpret interpretation of astronomical positions and what they mean in people's lives. So that becomes relevant as we transition into our topic, which is Mercury retrograde. So we've talked about Mercury. Let's talk about what um, a retrograde is. So part of the setup for this, I think, is that Mercury is actually interestingly the fastest moving planet in astrology or in the solar system besides the moon which is treated as a planet but just let's say aside from the moon mercury is the fastest moving planet it can move upwards of like 2 degrees a day i think at its fastest through the wow. zodiac right i i actually didn't I, this is not my strength so that okay. sounds right but i wouldn't say that because i don't yeah <laughs> so it can, it can move it can move pretty fast uh, when it's direct in motion and especially when it's really close to the sun um, however, unlike the moon, Mercury occasionally every few months will do this weird thing if you're watching it in the night sky where it will start to slow down and move really slowly and then eventually it will do a U-turn and it will like turn around and start moving backwards in the sky or backwards in the zodiac against the order of the signs of the zodiac. So normally it moves forward through the signs through like Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer. But every few months, it starts moving backwards where it goes like Cancer, let's say Gemini, Taurus, Aries, or what have you. So that's fundamentally what a retrograde is, is it's a planet moving backwards in the order of the signs rather than forwards for a period of time, right? Yeah, well done. Well done. Yeah. I always struggle to uh, describe it effectively. I, I've heard um, I think it's the Astro Twins wrote something to the effect of like it's it's like when you're driving on the freeway and you're driving at the same pace as a car and then they start going uh, slower than you and it seems like they're moving backwards but they're actually uh, just moving slower. It's like their 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 pace changes um, and I think that's like a really accessible way of thinking about it if you're not a spatial processor, um, which I'm not. Um, so, so I like that description, but yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. And it is worth noting that Mercury itself goes retrograde two, three times a year, every year. And so retrogrades, uh, Mercury retrogrades are a normal, appropriate, healthy function of Mercury. That's how Mercury functions is it includes consistent retrogrades. Um, and I think that that's the thing that, that, a lot of times people don't fully get about Mercury. They're like, oh no, it's turning on us again. But it's just like Mercury being Mercury. Mercury's a trickster. This is what Mercury does. Mercury fucks shit up. And I think that's part of what we need to embrace about Mercury. Yeah, definitely. That it's a, a normal thing. It happens three times a year. And that's one of the reasons why it's become a concept that sort of made its way outside of the astrological community because it happens so often that astrologers end up talking about it three times a year. And so it's a concept that's like filtered or found its way into just like the general consciousness outside of your zodiac sign. Like most people at this point have heard of Mercury retrograde in some form or another. Yeah. Also, I think because it's one of those like, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the word. Uh, 
It's objectively happening. Like it's evidential. That's the word I was looking for. It's one of those evidential things where people, because we use technology all the time, when Mercury goes retrograde, it's like clockwork. Apple's like, here's an update for you. It'll ruin your computer, but here's an update for you. Like we see things objectively get wonky, like the five different tries we had to do for recording the podcast, right? It's just like classic Mercury retrograde. And because it's so kind of um, trackable, people can experience it and notate it. Uh, I think also that's part of what popularizes it, pe- awareness of it because people are like, oh, here it goes again. I can tell you I'm already noticing it. Yeah, definitely. So here's a little diagram. This is from a calendar that uh, Paula Bellomini and I made that shows where the planet started at the beginning of 2020 and then what signs the zodiac they went through and where they ended up by the end of the year. So Mercury here, of course, we can see is the fastest planet, so it's in the inner cycle, and it started out up in Sagittarius, and then it started moving through the signs of the zodiac through um, Sagittarius, then through Capricorn, then through Aquarius. But um, eventually, early this year, I think it was in like what, like March or February, Mercury made it into Pisces, and then it slowed down and did this little U-turn, and then it moved backwards, retrograde in Pisces until it moved back into Aquarius. Then it stationed direct and turned around again and started its forward movement again through Aquarius, Pisces, Aries, Taurus, and so on and so forth. But over the course of the year, we can see it did three of these little loops during the course of 2020, first through Pisces, then Gemini, and then eventually now through Scorpio. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love this calendar. And as a person with really weak spatial intelligence that way, I love that you walk me through it because I'm like, oh, it makes perfect sense. At first, I was like, what are these squiggles? What do they mean? But they mean retrograde. Yeah, exactly. Um, So just because it's kind of a hard concept to conceptualize initially, but it's good to sort of get it down uh, so that you know visually at least sort of what it looks like. So here's the zoom. I love this. Zoomed in version of the same thing, just showing the current retrograde in Scorpio, how Mercury got up to about, what did it get to, like 11 degrees of Scorpio? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it did this U turn and then it went retrograde for three weeks, which we're now almost, but not quite halfway through. And then eventually in November, it will turn around again, do another U turn in Libra, and then start moving forward again and direct in motion. And this is this graphic that you've created so helpful. It also, to me, makes me feel like we need to talk about the shadow. Yeah, because so that's the another... people need to know. Oh, is that like a separate topic? Is that should we do that separate? Uh, no, we should do it. This is a perfect time to do it. I think um, it's perfect. I think let's... it was Lisa Stardust who popularized, and maybe she didn't create it. I, maybe I just learned it from her. But the term retro shade, which I like so much better. I've only heard this, been hearing this for the first time over the past few days, and I saw you use it. I saw one other person on Twitter mention it, and I really like it. So it's it's retro shade. Retro shade. It's perfect. I mean, listen, nothing, nothing. And I'm not a grammar police person, you know, but nothing bothers me more than someone saying Mercury is in retrograde. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to read it. It is the most annoying grammatical error. And it is so Mercury retrograde to have such a basic grammatical error be so popularized. Um, So to me, retro shade is like the opposite of that. It's like a a really fun wordplay situation that actually means something and is accurate, you know? So uh, down with Mercury in retrograde, up with the retro shade. Okay. So always say um, 
don't say in retrograde, just say Mercury is retrograde or Mercury is direct, which is what it is when yes. it's not retrograde. Yes. So um, shadow periods. So we talked about the, it's like there's three phases in the Mercury retrograde cycle itself, but if you break it down, there's actually something more like five phases. Um, so let me pull the diagram up again for that because that might be a good time to show that. One moment. So here's another little diagram. So Mercury, um, the retrograde is, is sort of right here in the middle. So Mercury goes retrograde when it first does the first U-turn and it turns from moving direct to moving retrograde and moving backwards. And that period of Mercury moving backwards for three weeks is the Mercury retrograde itself. And eventually that ends when Mercury does another U-turn, it stations direct and begins moving forward again. Um, but starting in the, I believe it was in the 1980s, I tried to research this at one point and what I was able to figure out and what most of the older astrologers told me is that the first astrologer who coined the phrase was an astrologer named Roxana Muse. Um, started talking about and coined this concept of the shadow period, which is the period leading up to the retrograde, which is like the pre-Mercury retrograde shadow period where it starts moving through the degrees that it will later um, come back to later during the course of the retrograde is the beginning of the shadow period. And then once Mercury stations direct, there's a period of time after it stations direct where it's coming out of the retrograde and it's still retracing the steps until it leaves the point that it eventually that it originally went retrograde at and that's the post retrograde shadow period is that roughly have i that sounds yeah. really complicated i'm not sure if i'm like mangling that no i don't think you are at all the way i always think of it which i feel like you're more technical than me so you know tell me if i'm wrong but Mercury, when it's in its retro shade, it's pre-retrograde retro shade, to popularize the term. Um, what it's doing is it's slowing down. You start to see evidence of its movement being less giddy-up oriented. Um, I warned you this wouldn't be technical. And then it goes retrograde where it appears to be moving backwards. It moves backwards through the zodiacal degrees. And then when it hits its post-retro shade, um, basically, it's retracing its steps through the zodiacal degrees. And so the retro shade is over when it moves beyond the degree it was when the retrograde began. Yes, exactly. Okay. I like okay. that. That's perfect. And <laughs> Thank you very much. To visualize this, even though this is becoming a lost concept, unfortunately, but there's this thing that astrologers used to use called an ephemeris. Uh, uh, squeeze me. People don't use the ephemeris anymore. Can I just say for the record, uh, and never leave home without it. I have a, re I have an ephemeris in almost every room of my home. Every room. And yeah. Cause you never know when you're going to need one and you just need to start reaching. I and... need one all the time. I right. just feel like I need to look at the ephemeris right now. Excuse me. No, <laughs> get an ephemeris. The internet does not give you everything by books, guys. Books Sorry. from like a, a bookstore, which for some of our younger listeners, unfortunately, <laughs> we have to define as well, which is like a, a place that you go to where you can purchase books in yeah. physical format. You know what? Everybody needs a fucking book. Can I just, okay, one more thing, one more thing. Not okay. to be, this is very Mercury though, for me to be like, here's a book. You don't just need a book. You need a book from a local bookstore that's like your woo, witchy, esoteric bookstore. And then mm -hmm. you get the bookmark. 
Let's talk nice. about the bookmark. It marks the book. It also marks the time in your life when you bought it. I bought this in Montreal, 1992. That's right. Wow. Same bookmark. And then what I do, yeah, I'm going, I'm going there. Watch me. I use a book and then I use my bookmark to look at the date. That's like what that. you're supposed to do with uh, ephemeris. It's a way of focusing yourself and using physical tools, real material tools to look at astrology. I can't say enough about my love of an ephemeris. Do you mark your ephemeris or are you a no mark? Uh, no astrology? marks. No marks. No okay. marks in my ephemeris. My ephemeris is like, it's to me. No, 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 never. I would, I, I would never. Okay. Sacrosanct. Thank you for that word. Yes, never. I have pieces of paper in my ephemeris that I've written on and I've stuck in there, but I wouldn't okay. write on the ephemeris because, well, that would be doing something ephemeral in an ephemeris and that's just not for me. <laughs> I, I understand. Play. This word nice play on words. Thank I like you. that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, Do you write in your ephemeris? I mean, yeah, I don't want to admit that now, but yeah. But <laughs> the positive thing about it is now I have like going back 20 years now, I have like old ephemerises where I was like, and then I'm going to have this transit of Pluto in the year 2020. And it's really funny and interesting to see what I was looking forward to or what I was like having um, trepidation about, you know, much earlier in my studies. And it's sometimes just a good way to like go through and see. You know, here's a like an image, for example, of an ephemeris, and this is digital. But some of my ephemerises will kind of look like this, where I'll take a highlighter and highlight certain oh, dates when certain honestly, things might happen. I'm embarrassed almost to say it literally never even occurred to me that someone would mark up their ephemeris. Like, oh, no. I, I, it's weird. I know it's weird, but I, I, I mean, I'm not a person who writes in books in general. I, I like to write in like day planners and in sure. journals, but I, I have a weird uptight thing about it. But also, I think also because I've done so many client consultations, it would be distracting to look at anything related to me while I was mm. in a client consultation, which right. I'll often pull out an ephemeris during a client consultation, either about the client and their chart or somebody else's chart or something that happened like 20 years ago to them or whatever. Mm. Um, so it literally is blowing my mind that it never even occurred to me to do that. Like, okay, how well, did I never even think of that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's different ways to do it. And it's a little easier sometimes if you're doing, like, if you go to astro.com, you can get a printable ephemeris for a year. And so you can mark that up or print it out and mark it up and it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, but there's different mm -hmm. ways to do it. One way you can do it is by like highlighting ones where it's hitting something important in your chart uh, by degrees. So just, you know, like that degree range is important. Another one, what I'm sort of demonstrating here is more just using an ephemeris to identify the shadow periods. Mm, so yes. if we look at look at an ephemeris here, we see that in October of 2020, um, on around the 14th, 13th, 14th of October, uh, Mercury and the Mercury column turned retrograde, and it turned retrograde at 11 degrees of Scorpio. Then for the next three weeks, it moved backwards. So instead of moving forward through the degrees, like Zero, one, two, three, four, five. Scorpio. It started moving downwards, so it went from eleven degrees to nine degrees to eight degrees to seven degrees of Scorpio. Eventually, it goes back into Libra, and then eventually, it stations direct three weeks later, around the third of November, at twenty-five degrees of Libra. 
So that gives us two sensitive degrees. One of them is where the degree that Mercury stationed retrograde at at 11 Scorpio. The other sensitive degree is the one that it stations direct at at 25 Libra. So may I may I ask a question about that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, do you like how I raised my hand um, for those watching? Um, right. So I noticed you're saying 25 degrees, but it's 25 degrees and 55 minutes. I personally would call the 26th degree. Do you call it a 25? I would even say that at 1140, where it, when it went retrograde, mm-hmm. I 40 is right around where I start to round up. Not consistently. I'm a little inconsistent about that, but I'm curious about how you engage with that. You called it 25. Was that an accident or is that actually how you see it? Um, I mean, there's a difference between like cardinal or like ordinal numbers or something like that, which I often mix up. So I usually do just say 25 in this instance, like since it's at 25 Libra, but you're right that it's basically 26 because it's 2555. So it's basically 26 degrees, or yeah. you could say the 26 degree. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, and I think, you know, I- I'm really glad that to pick this apart with you because I think it's really important for people to hear that. Both of us are very competent and experienced astrologers, and there's different ways of doing it. Right. And also, there's like an evolution of our own process as practitioners, right? Of like how we even engage with something as fundamental as notating a degree. Right. This is why astrology is like the divine navel. It takes well, us. Well, because everybody's away. like self taught, and sometimes you're like using the same materials, but you're sitting with them for years on your own. And sometimes people develop funny. Idiosyncrasies just due to that. Like, I remember the first time I met an astrologer was a few years into my study, and I was in like casual conversation, very excited to meet this guy at a metaphysical bookstore in Denver. And I started talking about my Chiron placement, which I referred to as Chiron. And he like stopped the conversation. He was like, hold on a second. What did you just say? And um, you're like, I've never spoken it aloud before. Yeah, exactly. That was my first time like meeting another astrologer. So sometimes that happens when you meet with other astrologers, but that's why it's good because sometimes it's um there's this give and take that happens. And I think that's always been the case historically. Like if you go back a thousand years, anytime you put two astrologers in the same room together, they start talking and sharing techniques, and you can see it influence the history of astrology as soon as different astrologers from different places interact. Yeah, absolutely. To that end, let me say two things. One is we are having such a meta time because we're talking about Mercury, which is talking about talking and talking Mm. about ideas and talking about ideas of Mercury, which is just, it's like part of my brain is just like, are you noticing this? Because it's just so meta. The other thing is kind of like I'm dialing it back to something we were just talking about really briefly. Um, hold please. Okay. When I was first taught astrology, mm-hmm. I was taught by a Jungian uh, astrologer who was actually, I'd learned at a college level um, in the mid 1990s or the early 1990s, I guess it was. Uh, in Montreal. And- in Montreal, Quebec, I went to a place called New School, which was part of Dawson College. And so the main school was just a regular like college. Uh, and this teacher taught Jungian psychology. Um, and then he was also an astrologer, like privately. So in the mm-hmm. New School where I went, he taught astrology from a Jungian perspective. And that was my first uh, formal study. And I was like, I don't know, 17, 18 when I first started learning. But what he taught me, this is on topic for Mercury, I promise, was that there's power in the symbols and that learning how to write 
with a pen or a pencil, the symbols was part of the magic of astrology. And so what I learned to do instead of the highlighting of the ephemeris, because of course he was a Capricorn with a Scorpio rising. So he was like this deep, intense, penetrative, like these are the rules, follow the rules. And I loved it. Um, is I write out my transits. Um, and I, you can see I have highlighter and all that kind of crap. Um, I write out my transits and all of the dates of them and whatever notes I need to, um, on paper, in part because I have, I was trained with this idea that the very process of writing a, like astrological statements mm -hmm. is, is a, it's, it's an energetic power. It's like a way of engaging with astrology. It's like, uh, the spiritual side of Mercury. You know, and yeah. so I would also say to, you know, people who are like, I can't afford to buy Fenimaris or I don't like books. I'm, I'm, I'm mad at books or whatever. Like, if that's what you want to do, um, writing things out, having a, a, like a place that is dedicated for you to write out your transits, your natal aspects, your astrological musings, I think is, is a form of kind of like almost, it's kind of like the wrong word for it, but prayer to astrology. It's like bringing energy and attention to astrology, which, is very mercurial, you know, process, but it's worth saying since we're talking about this stuff. Yeah, totally. Because it also, you've got to use, you got to learn how to write your glyphs. And yes. that in and of itself is like bringing material form to the language of astrology by like learning out how to write the language of, you know, Mercury, Trine, Neptune, and then writing down the date or what have you. That's yes. super, super crucial. It is crucial. And I feel like, you know, a lot of times when people are learning off of like the internet blog posts, you know, meme astrology, all this kind of stuff. When you lose the layer of being able to read the language and write the language, you are losing out on comprehension. And Mercury teaches us that is true, that there are many layers of comprehension and being able to like to, to read and speak in a language is, is one. You know, I can speak certain languages a little bit, but I can't necessarily read them. And that shows in how I how I speak in them, you know. And so I think that this is this is true with astrology as well, which is kind of to your point about us being translators, right? We have to be able to have a comprehensive understanding of the language in order to effectively translate what we're perceiving, what we're learning. Yeah, totally. So everybody, that's a good recommendation. I always forget that. But that's what I did first was I learned how to write the glyphs, and that was always one of my first steps. But people do sometimes. I have met people that you know five years into their study don't know how to do that and don't realize it's like a thing. So everybody listening should definitely, like square one, learn how to write the glyphs. Yes, absolutely. When I taught astrology, when I, I had beginner classes, I mean, I'm no fun as a teacher. I'm just like, you didn't study? You didn't do your homework? Go home. Like, I was just <laughs> such an asshole about it because that's how I was taught, you know? And again, I was taught solar fire existed, um, computers existed. I didn't have access to computers. Like, it wasn't a thing. So I learned astrology. I learned how to, to do the math, to cast a chart. And right. you can imagine with my Mercury how long that took me and how many errors I made. It was awful. And was you used awful. to have to like trudge like up a hill in snow in order to do this both ways. And yes, yes, I yeah. did. Yes, I did. I had to wear tennis shoes in the snow and fight hypothermia the whole way. But I will right. say this: learning how to do manual calculations. I believe in it. And I don't believe in doing it, <laughs> to be clear. It's a stupid waste of time. But I right. do believe in learning it because it grounds you in what astrology actually is. 
mm-hmm. you know, understanding that it's not just pressing buttons and going to astro.com and having someone tell you the math. It's knowing, knowing the steps, not necessarily doing them because again, they're stupid. Um, but like being able to know those steps, I think is a really valuable, uh, again, it's like a, a, a homage to the craft itself. It's, I, I take issue when people kind of are like, I value astrology. I learn from astrology. I center astrology, but I don't want to learn the basics. Um, I feel, I feel like that's like, well, then how much do you really respect it? It's a craft. It's, it's like an ancient craft. It deserves some measure of respect. So I know I sound like a, poster child for Capricorns. So sure. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. Right. Slash also I, like I am it. what I am. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I like yeah. it. But uh, yeah, you. like a baseline of that of learning the astronomy, even if you don't go all the way and like calculating charts on your own um, yes. or observing the astronomy like outside each night in order to calculate the chart or whatever is just getting some basic familiarity with the ephemeris. And that's one of the easiest ways to identify the retrograde periods and to identify the shadow periods is that so again, just back to this. So Mercury stations at, let's say, 11 degrees of Scorpio goes retrograde in October, and then it stations direct at 25 Libra in November. So those two degrees are important sensitive degrees that we apply to the shadow periods because what the shadow period is, is if we back up to September, like late September around the 23rd, as soon as Mercury hits uh, 25 degrees of Libra the first time, that's when the shadow period starts because that's the degree that Mercury will later retrograde or return back to when it stations direct in November. Um, so that's why the shadow period begins at that point because at, from that point forward, Mercury is moving through degrees and moving through parts of the zodiac that it's later going to return back to. So it starts like opening up usually like a series of events or a set of circumstances that even though it may not seem like it at the time, it seems like you you do something during that time and it's done and you move forward. Several weeks later, you sometimes find yourself coming back to that thing, just like Mercury itself returns back to those degrees of the zodiac weeks later. Yeah, agree button. Agree, agree, agree. Okay. So yeah. that's the pre-retrograde shadow period. And then the post-retrograde shadow period is that we can see Mercury stationing direct and starting to move forward again in early November, starting at 25 degrees of Libra. And then it's moving forward from late Libra into early Scorpio all the way until about November 19th or so when it hits 10 or 11 degrees of Scorpio. That was the degree that it originally stationed retrograde at. So once it reaches back to that degree it's stationed at, from that point forward, it's going to start moving through degrees that it never got to. And that's why it's the end of the shadow period, because it's not really sometimes until you get to that point that the whole situation is fully wrapped up and there's like a nice little bow on it. But sometimes there's still like cleanup that that continues to linger. Um, through the shadow period after that point. Do you, is that kind of how you interpret it as well? Or is absolutely. That, I'm, I'm absolutely. Not sure if I'm, yeah. No, I ooh. absolutely I I did notice something, which is why I was peeking at my ephemeris. Okay. Uh, not to belabor the ephemeris love, but right. uh the the 25th degree of Libra, that that mm-hmm. moment uh in the first time in the the retro shade pre- Mercury formed a square to Mars, which was retrograde uh, in Aries. And what's happening uh, the next time it happens, what was that, the 4th of November, um, is Mercury will be forming a square to uh, Saturn. 
couple of duty dude dudes, you know, like such like kind of masculine archetypy, although I have an argument for for these planets not having masculine archetypes, which is for another conversation. But to see Mercury squaring, um, I'm sorry, opposing, it was opposing, Mercury opposing Mars and then Mercury squaring Saturn, to me, that is worth noting because, again, we're not just seeing these things existing in a bubble. Um, we need to understand that it might have felt like something at that first retroshade moment, that that uh, September day of the 22nd, that thank you for pulling up the chart. It might have felt like something happened that was kind of like sudden or surprising or just how you dealt with anger, how you expressed frustration. And then there's going to be consequences because it's Saturn. <laughs> you know, when we look at the November 4th, we're going to deal with consequences. So, you know, when we think about the election, I'm like, damn, we should have we should have really looked at what was going on politically and socially, even in the president's Twitter feed on and around the 22nd of September to see some sort of consequence come the 4th of November, which is a really pr- particularly important date, of course, in U.S. politics. Right. So here's the chart for those watching the video version where Mercury here, it's direct. It's not retrograde yet, It's but once it gets to 24, 25 degrees of Libra, we know from looking at the ephemeris that that's the degree it's later going to retrograde back to. So it's going to come all the way back to this degree several weeks later. So if we keep animating it and moving the chart forward by days, we see Mercury move into Scorpio. Um, and then in early October, it starts slowing down. So it starts moving slower than it usually does. And all of a sudden, it stops at this certain degree, which is 11 degrees of Scorpio or the 12th degree of Scorpio, as Jessica would say, right? 12th degree? Mm-hmm. Is that yeah, correct? I would. Yeah, I would. Okay. Yeah. So 11 yeah. degrees of Scorpio or 12th degree of Scorpio. And it stops at that degree. And that's one of the things that's really important that's maybe worth emphasizing. Of why retrogrades, especially stations, are important is usually Mercury. You know, it, it moves at like a degree or two a day, so usually it it hits a spot in the zodiac or a degree of the zodiac, and it just keeps moving, and it's only there for like a day tops. But what happens during a retrograde is Mercury slows down, and then it just sits at that degree for several days, basically, or almost like a week, basically, just sitting there at eleven degrees of Scorpio, right? Mm, yep, yeah. Another interesting thing about retrogrades that are really important is that when we have a retrograde, that means we'll often have multiple transits between Mercury and any given planet, usually an outer planet, hit multiple times in a short period, which is unusual with the planet Mercury. Mercury has to be retrograde for that to occur, ditto for Venus and Mars. So that's another thing to really uh, watch out for. It doesn't happen in every retrograde, but it certainly I think it, it has happened in this one, or it will have happened in this one, eh? Yeah, that's a really good point. So that's mm-hmm. one of our ways of characterizing what the retrograde is going to be about is a or number one, what sign of the zodiac is it taking place in? So in this instance, it's taking place in Scorpio, but that's going to be different qualitatively than, you know, for example, there was a retrograde in Pisces earlier this year. Um, but then second, what planets are configured to Mercury, especially when it stations retrograde and is just sitting at that degree, mm-hmm. um, especially outer planets seem to be really important in characterizing, as you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then also it sets it up so it's not just in this instance, for example, it's opposing Uranus, which is at nine degrees of Taurus when it stations there at 11 degrees of Scorpio. So it's holding that opposition mm-hmm. for like a, quite a while. Which is something Mercury doesn't normally do. Its aspects yeah. are otherwise usually very quick. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and that's a really, really important transit. Mercury opposite uh, to Uranus has already occurred, I think, on October. Uh, October the 19th, we had it, or is that the 15th? It, it happens the 15th, and then it'll happen again on the, or it happened again on the 19th, I'm believing. So here's this the, is all so based on my memory. So the first one was October 7th. So mm -hmm. that's when it first opposed at like nine degrees of Scorpio to nine degrees of Taurus while it was still direct. And then let's see, it stations retrograde in like October 13th, and it goes back to nine Scorpio and opposes Uranus again around 19th, the, yeah, the yeah. 19th. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and the 19th already happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then it's going to happen one more time. I think we get another hit November 7th? Yeah, so after Mercury stations direct in yeah. Libra, it eventually comes back into Scorpio, and then it opposes Uranus a third time here. It looks like November 16th-ish. 16th. Okay, there it is. So my brain did a 7 out of a 1 plus 6. Okay, so this is where, you know, and this is something with the current Mars retrograde, which is a different topic, but that's something that I've is a very important part of this Mars retrograde as well. You know, this Mercury opposition to Uranus, there's like the social implications and then the personal implications, but they're both a little chaotic, you know? And I think that the the kind of component of Uranus as associated with individualism and uh, Mercury is also can be quite individualistic. It's much more relational than Uranus is. Um, but it's always like my ideas, my attitudes, what I think, what I say. And I think this opposition is, you know, we're seeing so much tension in the world around like, this is who I want to vote for. This is what I think. I don't want to talk about politics, like all of this kind of stuff. It's very activated. I also think Mercury opposite to Uranus is really good for hackers and people who want to push propaganda and people who like chaos because this is a transit that creates a lot of chaos and anxiety because Mercury and Uranus are both related to our nervous system in different ways and our thought processes. And so it speeds things up in such a way that it's hard to keep track and anyone with any kind of hypertension, anxiety disorder, um, ADD stuff is more likely to be kind of, um, it, it, it can get stimulated through these transits, unless of course it hits your chart in a way where it makes everyone else speed up. So you're like, oh, I'm calm now. Now I'm now I'm normal because everyone else is caught up with me. So it can right. kind of go either way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really good point for people listening to this like after, let's say, November in the future. Cause I think this is going to be like my main Mercury retrograde episode from now on. Just that um there's a whole range of significations that we mentioned at the beginning for what Mercury retrogrades can coincide with. Or maybe we just mentioned the significations and we didn't actually talk about what Mercury We didn't, but we but we will. Okay. 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 So we <laughs> got into the astronomy and we forgot to define it. But let's say there's a range of significations that Mercury retrograde can coincide with, but sometimes it gets narrowed down and there's more specific ones that tend to manifest when it's configured to certain planets when it stations retrograde. So this one is primarily characterized by Mercury opposite Uranus. And so therefore we take more of those Mercury Uranus significations that have to do with like technology, um, unexpected things coming up. Um, since it's Mercury retrograde in Scorpio, it's like unexpected disclosures potentially, um, or potentially attempting to like manipulate things with disclosures, more issues with technology. I've seen this retrograde already being much more about the technological end that people sometimes talk about in Mercury retrogrades, but it's not always 
that um, emphasized, but this one, it definitely is, I think, due to that opposition with Uranus. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Also, let's not skip over Mer- So Mercury and Scorpio. Mm-hmm. Scorpio is associated with shame. And it does move into Libra, as we know. And Libra is a very relational, uh, kind of peace-seeking uh, sign. And I think it's really important for us to also acknowledge that that and this kind of gets into like, what is a retrograde on a kind of experiential level? What is a Mercury retrograde? Retrogrades want us, I, I always say the rule of re's, review, reassess, uh, reaffirm, recalibrate. You know, it's it's about reflecting back. And in order to really have consistent progress, we need to look back at what we've done, what isn't working, what is working, and kind of let the wisdom of time inform us. And I think that when we're looking at a retrograde in the sign of Scorpio and Libra, especially in the context of what's happening globally and certainly domestically, we all need to look at our, at things that we have shame around. You know, uh, when we talk about the kind of ills and ills of the world, we are all complicit in them. We are all a part of it. We are all the benefactors of various things that are problematic. And it stirs up shame and it stirs up resentments and it stirs up um, anger. And it's all very Scorpio stuff. And this is, you know, I I won't over speak about this because it's connected to a a lot of larger transits that are not Mercury oriented. But I think that, you know, we're already seeing it and I, I expect us to see it throughout the retrograde that this is a period where individual people are reflecting back on things that are hard to sit with, hard to acknowledge, and figuring out what their story is, you know? And and I think that the, the psychological implications of that don't just stop with the individual psyche because society and community is made out of many individuals. And so how we relate to calling each other in versus calling each other out, how we relate to making space for difference and for individual learning curves, how we step into humility. All of these things, I think, are a part of this particular Mercury retrograde in these signs in the context of the larger astrology and societal trends, you know? So I don't know if you if you have a take on that as well. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that. Um maybe let's finish like defining the the astronomy and then let's like define the core mercury retrograde significations and then i want to circle around and bring it together with the current one and where we're at with the election and what it all what it all means um so you're bringing up a really important point about how when mercury goes retrograde one of the things that's really unique about it is usually mercury because it moves so quick it'll aspect a planet like an outer planet and it'll happen over the course of a day and then it's done or you'll have a mercury transit and it'll aspect something in your chart but it'll be very quick and it's done but when mercury goes retrograde it sometimes sets it up so those aspects will recur um 3 times over the course of a a several week period so you were mentioning mercury opposite uranus and this is a little graph from uh Kyle over at archetypal explorer where it shows that first Mercury Uranus opposition in mid or early October, like the second week of October, whatever that was. Um, but then Mercury goes retrograde and it comes back and opposes again later in October. And then later, once Mercury turns direct, it will come back and oppose Uranus again in November. So you get three hits of Mercury when it goes retrograde. And that's an important part of the Mercury retrograde like dynamic. Yeah. 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 I um, love that. And I love that you had that graph ready to go. 
Yeah, I'm trying to trying to line it up, trying to use as many visuals for those that are visual learners who are Smart. trying to get this down. Um, so we've talked about that. I want to circle back to talking about other outer planet configurations with the Mercury retrograde, because that can certainly change things. Like if Mercury is opposing Neptune, that's much different than opposing um, Uranus, like we're talking about now, but maybe we should yeah. stop and actually define what Mercury retrograde in and of itself means sometimes. So Great. Um, Mercury retrograde, when it slows down and goes retrograde, it's this three-week period, and it takes Mercury's significations. And one of the things that it seems to do is it sometimes like inverts them um, in different ways. So it becomes traditionally associated with things like miscommunication, delays, being sidetracked, um, technological snafus, and different disturbances in the regular flow of communication. Do those seem like good core like significations yeah. to you? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The 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 thing that's so tricky about the Mercury retrograde that people really notice is you think you're being clear and somebody else isn't hearing what you said or they're not hearing it the way that you meant it. You say, "Meet me on the corner of Fourth and Market," and they're like, "Okay," and they're standing like perpendicular to you and you never see them. They're like really honest misunderstandings because we're distracted. You know, because we're like we're we're a little bit in the past. We're a little bit trying to catch up, and it makes us distracted. So we're back to this like kind of core thing about Mercury, which is listening. Um, I feel like Mercury retrograde is a call to listen to yourself more and to look at how you are or are not listening to others. And within that, you know, you think you sent them email, but it actually ended up in your drafts folder. Yeah, you know, like, it's like, like that kind of thing. Mistakes or like technological, like genuine mistakes sometimes happen that are forms of like miscommunication. So, for example, one that's happened to me recently in, in this retrograde was like sending a text to somebody and then them not replying and you being like, oh, well, that's offensive. I'm not going to talk to that person again. And then it turns out that the text didn't go through and they genuinely didn't see it because there was a technological snafu that resulted in the miscommunication. And sometimes a little thing like that can set off a larger sequence of events, but at its core, it's like the Mercury function of like communicating or transmitting information between people went awry and didn't work like it's usually supposed to, and it led to something else. Yep, absolutely. And I think, you know, I'm always hearing from people like, oh, I have to like sign a contract, I have to get a new job, I have to do this new thing. I'm trying to buy a car. What do I do? It's Mercury retrograde. And the answer is double check your work, triple check the contract, like be careful. It's not don't live your life. It's live your life empowered with the information that things are more likely to be wonky. It's like because you're an astrologer and, and you know that your text maybe didn't go through or they somehow like didn't, they read it and they meant to get back to you and then they forgot. Like because we're astrologers and we know that, it, to me, it's really empowering because listen, I'm a triple Capricorn. When I make appointments with people, you don't show up for your appointment, your minute, you're 10 minutes late, you you missed your 10 minutes. You know, I'm a rosy girl. But when Mercury is retrograde, I'm like, okay, so people are going to show up like clockwork for an appointment that's going to happen in six months. People will show up late. They will come the wrong day. People will ask me a bunch of stupid questions that I already answered or whatever. And instead of being offended and rigid, like I can get, I will be very understanding during a Mercury retrograde because it's it's like it's the math. It's not on them. It's not on me. It's just how it goes. Yeah, that's really funny. Actually, you mentioned that as one of the things scheduling 
misunderstandings and snafus are very common under Mercury retrogrades. And I actually today like woke up an hour earlier than I needed to for this because I wrote down the time. I did the time zone conversion wrong, so I showed up for this meeting like an hour early, and I was like, "Where is Jessica?" And then like ten minutes later, I realized, oh, "Okay, we've had one of those things." One of those things, yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is the thing about Mercury retrograde. It's like for me. As a literalist, I love knowing shit's going to go sideways and it's not anyone's fault. I mean, listen, people, some things are people's fault, but I hold a lot of grace during a retrograde because it makes my life easier. Honestly, that's that's it. And I think, you know, a great way of relating to this, if you're not an astrologer and you're just trying to live your damn life, is to be like, okay, so I am empowered with the knowledge that people are going to miss things and I'm going to make stupid mistakes and none of it's personal. It's all by design. And the design is so that we keep on being relational. Like like in that kind of instance, obviously you figured it out so you didn't have to do anything, but you could have texted me and been like, hey, Jessica, where the fuck are you? And I would have been like, hey, weirdo, it's not the time. And then we would have been like, ha ha ha, moved on with our lives. And that's the thing that I think the Mercury wants of us because it's a relational subjective planet. It wants us to uh, interact. And as I said, kind of at the start, it's related to the platonic side of all relationships. It's the like how we get on with others um, and how we kind of are interconnected with others. And I think that that's really um, something that we shouldn't let go of. We shouldn't forget. We are supposed to ask questions. We are supposed to double check. We are supposed to like check in on people and situations during the retrograde, really during any retrograde uh, of a personal planet, but certainly Mercury first and foremost, IMO. Yeah, definitely. So that's a good point that all the other planets, uh, except for the sun and moon, also turn retrograde and have their own meanings when they're retrograde. We're focusing on Mercury for the purpose of this, and Mercury retrogrades happen the most frequently that they tend to be talked about the most, but some of this may apply to other planets as well in different contexts. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know, I haven't done any research into like how frequently you know, Mercury and Mars are retrograde at the same time. Uh, I don't remember it happening in recent years. Uh, mm. And I will say, for the record, it's a boner, not enjoying it. Boner's a bad thing in my view. Okay. That's no bad. offense, you know, gotcha. but for me, it's a bad boner. It's a bad boner. Yeah. Or as my friend who taught me the term, uh, it's a sad boner. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's a, just a term for you to use as retro shade, sad boner, run with it. That's Mercury for you. All right, we'll put that in the books to yes. pass down to future generations for like astrological terminology. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sad boner. Mercury and Mars retrograde at the sad time is a sad boner. Somebody's yeah. going to be translating this into like another language at some point and is going to have a question mark. So we'll have to give your email address. <laughs> yes, yes, Just yes, to direct yes, yes. all questions I, to later. I get questions that. about it a lot because I use uh, that's a boner or it's a boner to both mean something very bad and very good. Okay. I I just feel like language is flexible. Why be rigid about it? It's that not like very, time, which is super rigid. Capricorn, sorry. That is a very uh, Mercury Uranus uh, type position to take, if I may say so. <laughs> yes, uh, you may. You may. But, so okay, let's finish um, just defining other possible generic Mercury retrograde things that it's said to be associated with. So just to finish up like this part of my outline. So um, what I wrote was that which Mercury signifies normally gets inverted, impeded, or delayed, and that in its movements, we've already seen maybe to excess in the ephemeris at this point, that it has this sort of deviation or anomalous movement from our perspective 
which when interpreted then is interpreted as meaning anomalous occurrences with respect to Mercury, so a deviation from what is expected. So if Mercury normally signifies clear communication, then you get an, an inversion of that, which is miscommunication or a delay or a sidetrack or what have you. Um, let's see, other standard things, disturbances in the regular flow of communication resulting in misstatements, unwelcome disclosures, miscalculations, do-overs, um, problems with technology, schedules, traffic, etc. The retrograde involves revisiting a part of the zodiac that has recently been through previously, so therefore the retrograde sometimes itself involves periods involving revisiting, revising, and rethinking things from the past. Um, so a lot of rewords, I think, that you use as well, right? Yeah, I'm I, I'm obsessed with the concept of retrogrades being related to any form of review. It's it's the rewords, yeah. It it really it's a great role to work with because it seems to really work, um, and it clarifies that this is not like a torture chamber that you know the planets have put us in. It's simply a time for you know. Re reframing. And sometimes the only way that we are willing to make changes or to question things is to have them go on the fritz. And, you know, humans, we're so stubborn. God, we're just like, I don't want to question it. It's working. I'm just going to do what I've always done. But time marches on and it wants us to understand that things change as our position changes, as everything around us changes, as we change. And a retrograde is a time for that reassessment being an activated thing um, in, in the kind of context of whatever planet it is. Now, I, I will say that for me, that is much more true with the personal planets, with Mercury, Venus, and Mars, than it is with any of the slower moving planets, which all retrograde every year a bunch uh, and already move so fucking slow. Anyways, so, you know, I not all astrologers agree with me on that one, but that's my yeah. Thing. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. Um, so yeah, that's one of the things that you emphasize in some of your Mercury retrograde write-ups is also an internalization of the thinking function and a period of reflecting and sometimes looking backwards, or other times when old things coming come back into your life, either mentally or sometimes literally. Mm -hmm. So some of your keywords in your articles are things like review, reflect, reassess, recalibrate, and reorient. I think some of that like internalization and reflection also has to do with when Mercury slows down and turns retrograde, there's the problem and the problem arises at that time or the snafu or the anomaly. But then Mercury, during the course of its three-week retrograde cycle, it will back up and fall um, back into a conjunction with the sun, and it will fall, traditional astrologers would say, under the beams of the sun or become hidden or sort of reunite with the sun in some way. And perhaps it's as a result of that that we have that idea of reflecting or internalizing on mm -hmm. things that um, sometimes causes some greater internal development. I think is how you're sort of framing it. Yeah, yeah, that, that I really like that. It's really actually very pretty. Uh, it's, it's nice. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think that there's this way that retrogrades they get so much fear because they're inconvenient. Honestly, um, I've seen people be like, whenever Mercury goes retrograde, I get depressed or I cry all the time. And I'm like, well, that's not actually what Mercury retrograde does. So it, but what it can do is it can trigger a coping mechanism that is underdeveloped or that needs greater attention and your resistance to making those, re to reviewing and making changes 
That's what can trigger a depression or emotionalism. Mercury on its own is not about emotionalism. It is a reflective, uh, subjective planet, but it is not the moon. It is not even Venus. It is Mercury. Uh, and so, you know, I think that, that there's, there's so much, there's so much value in Mercury retrograde. Honestly, I think there's so much that we can gain from Mercury retrogrades, but it requires us being inquisitive and interested in our own processes, in our relationship to frustrations or snafus. You know, you and I spent an hour getting ready for this. If either of us had been like, nope, that's it, fuck this, it would have been really difficult and stressful. But instead, it was actually like pleasant and like we got to laugh about it because we didn't personalize it. And I think that you know, there's a, I mean, I'm just using that because it just happened, but like, and it's like an impersonal like example, but I think it's important for people to think about in your own life when Mercury is retrograde, how are you taking something personally that you actually could just let go? And how would your life be easier if that happens, you know? And I, and I think it's, it's really valuable to play with and explore those, those kinds of questions. Yeah, that's a really great point uh, that um, Mercury retrogrades, one of the best things that you can do or cultivate during them to get through it with the greater greatest sense of inner peace is just flexibility. Cause like yes. that's probably the one thing that Mercury it, retrogrades are the hardest on is inflexibility, like inflexibility mm -hmm. in like your scheduling or your attitude or whatever it is. If you go into it saying it has to be this one way, um, then you know you're gonna have a harder time because that's gonna get thrown off potentially. And if you don't have some degree of flexibility, then it's going to be sort of dragging you along with it instead of you just like going with the flow, so to speak. Yeah. And that's coming from a Mercury Saturn and a Mercury Uranus person, not the most flexible of all the Mercury outer planet people. Real talks. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to think Uranus is like a flexible planet, but it's really capricious. I think it's very much like I'm completely flexible about everything I'm not obtuse about. Right. And I feel like Uranus and Saturn have a lot in common in that regard. It's like, yeah, I'm super flexible when it serves me. When I'm not in the mood, I'm not. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Or, or it's <laughs> like I'm super flexible as long as I can do it my own way. Yeah. Right. Exactly. As long as I'm in right. total control. Exactly. I, right. I remember when I was first studying astrology and I was learning about Uranus and I was like, oh, it's like counterculture. It's like punks. I was, I, as a, as a young person, I was like, everyone around me was a punk. And I was, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's so Uranus. It's like they would like spend hours on the way they looked. But if somebody spent hours on looking conventional, they'd be like, that's boring. That's stupid. But what I'm doing is okay. And I was like, oh, that's classic of Uranus. It's this like, uh, kind of, super flexible, super rigid at the same time. And I kind of, I just find that fascinating and and not not about Mercury, but not completely separate. No, that's great. I love that. That's good visualization. Um, all right. The very last section in this, just defining Mercury retrograde is one last one was making a choice or initiating a plan of action at the beginning of the retrograde cycle. And then later, once Mercury goes retrograde or later in the Mercury retrograde cycle, having to reverse the decision or take something back or make a significant course correction in order to rectify an error or a miscalculation that was made previously. So sometimes the first part of the cycle, there's like a delay or an issue comes up, but then eventually there's a resolution that usually starts to come about halfway through the retrograde, usually when Mercury conjoins the sun or sometimes not until Mercury station direct, there's like a some sort of resolution or or solution to the problem that that comes about. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah. 
That's that's right. That sounds right to me. It's not it's not something that I've ever um, focused on though. So I, I'd like to I like that. Yeah. In terms it, of just the instances where it's more literal instead of the instances where it's like um, more internal. It's the it's the planning part. It's like this the the clarity of like okay, so I'm starting something. I'm going to have to revisit it or or check it out like specific to the cycle. That's not what I've thought about. I've thought mm. about it in like kind of more of a broad sense of whatever. Yeah, I've just thought about it in a more broad sense. I guess is the best way to put it. Sure. Um, so yeah, so for so I I I like what you're suggesting is that there's something that is encapsulated that is somewhat exclusive. Not really exclusive, but literally within the degrees, the dates of the retrograde itself, and that's mm -hmm. not actually how I've how I've um, thought about it. And now I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to go back and do some research. But yeah, that's cool. Sure. I like that. Yeah, I just uh, I like collecting Mercury retrograde examples. Like I have a history sometimes of like needing to get a new laptop, and sometimes this like happens at the beginning of the Mercury retrograde. And oh so when, yeah, when Mercury, I've like, seen that. It like slows down in stations <laughs> retrograde, and you're like, and something happens, and you just like have to get a new computer at that time, and you're like, well, if I do this, there's going to be issues, but you have to go ahead and do it anyways, and then there's a problem. Like I got a laptop a few years ago at the beginning of the retrograde, and then it died like within two days of using it, just two days after Mercury stationed retrograde, so it's starting the three week retrograde cycle, and then it's like you had to I have to like send it back and go through this whole process, and then eventually. Um, you know, I don't start to see any resolution to the process until Mercury conjoins the Sun halfway through the cycle, and it's not really all going well again until Mercury stations direct and begins moving forward again. Interesting. So I, that is one thing that I will not do. I mean, unless there's an extreme situation, I will not buy a phone. I will not buy a computer. Okay, Mercury so you just avoid you avoid that altogether. Um, I think maybe once I was like. She broke, like she broke, 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 and I had no right. choice. But right. I will go to great lengths because I, I know that, like that is just one thing that just it can't go well. Like it just can't go well. You know what I mean? I mean it must. Yeah. People buy computers and phones all the time, but I, in my experience, it, it just can't go well. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those instances where sometimes if you can, you try to avoid it. But if you can't, you just have to. Um, you know, have flexibility and understand that even though it doesn't look like it should at the beginning of the cycle, this may take longer than you think that it's going to due to unexpected delays and just to sort of roll with the punches as yeah. that's happening. Absolutely. And when does the, now that you're like naming this so frequently, hold on, let me just see what I can pick up here. When does the Sun and Mercury meet this time yes, around? Let's take a peek. Oh, the 25th of October. I beat you to it. Uh, yeah, the 25th of October is when that transit occurs. Um, and I'm down for that. I'm not going to lie, yeah. I'm down for that. So here is the uh, <gasps> little calendar. There's October. We see Mercury stationing on the 13th retrograde, and then it conjoins the sun on. Wait, what did you, did you say? The 25th? 25th, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. So 25th is halfway point. That's usually when you start to see some resolution, like halfway through the cycle, but it's not. Fully resolved until Mercury stations direct, which we'll do on November. 3rd. I mean, from your mouth to God's ears, as they say, because this yeah. Mercury retrograde has been a real boner. If I'm being honest, a sad right. boner. Uh, it's really it's just it's just been like painstaking, you know, just painstaking slow. Yeah, and we have to make there's one like caveat with that, which is occasionally 
even though stuff is supposed to start clearing up by the time Mercury stations direct and there's supposed to be some forward movement and like resolution of the snafus, there are occasionally instances where the things that started and went crazy during the Mercury retrograde can last after that, like for example, 20 years ago when Mercury retrograde station direct on election day and then it was just like chaos for the next 6 weeks and the election wasn't fully decided until like mid December or something like that. Oh, I think we're going to have something similar again at best. Honestly, at best because this this is a really different situation in a lot of ways, but a big one is the voting by mail, which has never happened before in the right. way that it's happening now. We're having record voter turnout already and we're not even at the 25th of October yet. And we know that votes are being filled out, ballots are being filled out, votes are being put in the mail, and then they're being tabulated in in the retrograde. Mm-hmm. So that is unique and has never before happened in American history. And so this is a fun place for us as practicing astrologers to know that there's no precedent. You know, there's no precedent. So there's like little bits and pieces of precedent, but this is a unique situation. And if we move forward as a nation and we continue to vote by mail, um, which I hope we do because I hate going to a polling place myself. I've been in California for 25 years and I've always voted by mail. Mm. I love it. Um, but in in order, you know, if we're going to do this, then then we're going to have the opportunity to see this moving forward in the future. Because in 2000, when this happened, there weren't that many, not all states allowed you to vote by mail. And there weren't that many uh, ballot sent in by mail. I haven't looked at the the numbers on it, but it was nothing like this year, you know. So I, I think it's I think we can expect a shit show. Yeah, I think all all astrologers are are agreed on that one thing <laughs> that it's going to be <laughs> yeah. a shit show pretty much yeah. no matter what, and it's due to that weird perfect storm of also not just higher turnout of like more people trying to vote, but also the pandemic and therefore more people not wanting to stand in line at a polling place with like a hundred other humans in close proximity. Mm-hmm. So therefore like wanting to take advantage of mail-in voting more than usual, as well as some of the weird like manipulations that may be going on in terms of trying to like pull machines out of the post office and suppress some of mm-hmm. the vote through uh, weird shenanigans going on at the post office. Shenanigans is such a kind word for what it is. I also heard um, on the news that they're in Florida. It might be happening in other states as well. But people who are registered as Democrat are receiving emails saying, if you don't vote for Trump, we're going to get you. So they're getting threatening emails saying, we know who you are. And we want, and we're insisting. So we're also seeing voter intimidation. We're also seeing all these other things that I think are really great motivation for voting by mail or dropping off a ballot at a polling place um, versus going into the polls. Now, there's a, an argument to be made for voting in person as well, um, and I've heard many people make a compelling argument about it. I think the most important thing is to vote. And that is that is as much Saturn as it is Mercury. That is as much our little stellium of outer planets in the sign of Capricorn at this time as it is any kind of Mercury or retrograde shenanigan. Definitely. You're welcome. Um, all right. So we've defined Mercury retrograde pretty well. Let's talk about social impact a little bit. I want to do a little segment talking about this is one of the few astrological concepts that's become widely known outside of sun signs. 
Mercury retrograde is like the next thing. The only other thing after that, somewhere way down the line, is like maybe Saturn returns or Definitely something like Saturn that. Definitely Saturn return. I mean, Saturn I'm queer, okay. so I will say that since 1994, when I moved to San Francisco, everyone's like, Saturn return. Tell me about my Saturn return. They're knocking on my door when they do that. That's why I'm doing right. this for the video. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, so Saturn return, I think, is pretty high up there. I think it's it's pretty close to the Mercury retrograde. You but think that I, it's that, but Mercury's still up more than yes, Saturn returns, yes. right? But you're okay. also talking to a triple Capricorn. So of course, okay. everyone right, and their just... sister finds me when they're going through Saturn transits. Like, that, okay. why wouldn't they? I'm like a walking, talking Saturn transit, like chronic. That, that makes sense. You're a Saturn yeah. magnet. I just <laughs> magnetized to you. <laughs> I, that's right. They're like, oh, I'm suffering. Tell me of my suffering. And I say, okay. So let's talk about the social impact. So while all of the planets go retrograde, Mercury does the most frequently. This causes astrologers and, and horoscope writers to talk about it more frequently, especially in modern times. Um, the advent of the internet and writing online columns and YouTube and everything else has meant astrologers can also go outside of just talking about the sun signs where they can make general statements about the astrological weather. So Mercury is mentioned very frequently in terms of its retrograde cycles. Um, additionally, Mercury's connection with day-to-day -day things perhaps make it Make its retrogrades more tangible, but also the increasing reliance on technology and electronic communications over the past few decades probably makes the Mercury retrogrades perhaps more relevant in a way. So maybe it's become more relevant as we get more technological. What do you think? I 100% agree with that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. 100%. Um, so the broader public awareness of this concept has some pros and cons. On the positive side, it shows that there's more to astrology than just sun signs. So people are finding out that astrology is more complex than just. Dividing the entire globe into like 12 camps or 12 groups. There's actually a lot more to it. So that's a good thing. On the negative side, um, it sometimes gets overstated in its importance and often is mischaracterized as being sometimes worse than it is. Or alternatively, it's also assumed to apply to everyone at all times, even when that's not the case. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, where do you want to, let's start maybe with the mischaracterization part. When is, to what extent is Mercury retrograde? panic like justified versus to what extent is it overblown to some extent in modern society today? Mm, God, I mean, it's overblown in a lot of ways. Like there's no Mercury retrograde lipstick or like there's no Mercury retrograde and I love lipstick, but there's no like Mercury retrograde whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's just it's overblown in a lot of ways is basically the point. It's it's we have to I'm cynical a little, right? Um I the commercialization of astrology is worth being critical and cynical around and also open to and enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like if you're shopping for lipsticks and you like astrology, good. Read the read the article. That's cool. Um, but also that's not astrology. That's like, you know, it's something else. It's like you know, it's like cotton candy is food, but is it mm. food? You know? Sure. It's cotton or, candy. Or let's say fast food. Let's say it's like the Mercury retrograde is like the McDonald's of astrology of like, yeah, it's it's good and it, or it'll get you by or it's food. It, it has yeah. some nutritional value. Yeah. But let's say it's not the same as like a Michelin 12-star like restaurant where you go and like yeah. you know, have a chef. That, that chef in the Michelin 12-star restaurant, that's an astrologer, an experienced astrologer looking at your chart and looking at the retrograde and seeing how the retrograde is going to directly impact you. That's mm -hmm. your like fancy Gordon Ramsay might eat there kind of situation. Okay. But the McDonald's is just like uh, you know, I I I don't 
even the articles that are really popular these days of like what four signs are going to be impacted the most by mer- this Mercury retrograde, it's based on the kind of misinformation that sun this, your sun sign is the only thing in your chart. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sun, moon and rising in Capricorn. So f- for me, you know, OK, sure, maybe something like that would hit me more directly. But I have pl- other planets and other signs. Come on, guys. So I think that there's a way that Mercury retrograde is so important. It's something I track. It's something I think is very important to talk about and educate people about. But the kind of like oversimplification of it, the memification of it is where it gets problematic and is made to it just becomes generalized. And, you know, I think that the risk with astrology and and, and this is a really important thing, I think, for me and older astrologers, people who are my age and older, is this fear that through all of this, like, you know, astrology perfume and like astrology memes and all this kind of stuff, which is fun. It's not bad. Um, I've certainly participated as a, you know, as a person who makes a living, you know, I've participated in this stuff uh, a little bit for sure. But um, the the risk of it is that it makes, it's the silification of astrology. It It's like taking something that is substantive and making it and just not making it very substantive. And that's kind of always associated with the downfall of astrology and popular opinion. And so I'm, you know, very nervous about that as somebody who's in love with astrology and has dedicated her life to astrology. And I think, you know, when we're talking about Mercury retrograde, we are in part talking about a place where this happens because there's enough social awareness of Mercury retrograde, that it becomes a place where people who are not astrologers are posting about it or brands are using it as a way to sell products and all this kind of stuff, which is, you know, I guess that's just so classically retrograde, Mercury retrograde, is that it's like misinformation or like partial information. Um, But it's also kind of annoying. Maybe maybe one of the core issues is just like oversimplification. That yes. maybe something that's kind of like a complex thing that like we're we're only like we're like an hour and a half into this discussion already. And I feel like we've barely scraped the surface. Yeah. So it's obviously yeah. a very complex thing that has a lot of different factors you can take into account. If you're doing it full blown, it sometimes gets simplified, and sometimes that simplification can, yeah, like you said, end up being almost like misinforming people more than helping to inform them about what the phenomenon actually is. Yeah, or create fear because right. we know that clickbait is salacious. It, it provokes a strong feeling. And so fear is a really strong feeling. And if you post something that has a scary title um, or the thing that you absolutely need to know during this Mercury retrograde, it's like, oh no, what is it that I need to know? This is, I'm sorry, I'm biting my nails pretending. I don't know if that was obvious. I realized it looked like I was eating corn on the call, right. so I apologize. But That's anyways, fine. you, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, So anyways, you understand the problem with it, right? It's, it's like, how do we talk about astrology intelligently? you know, and also make it fun. And like, it does have to be bite-sized pieces, you know, tweets are only so many characters. And I think, you know, some of that is, it is okay to be a student of something and not try to teach other people the thing. It is okay to be a fan of something and not present yourself as an expert. And I think that more astrology fans need to hear that um, because there's a lot of things that we want to post about because they're important to us. But there's a risk of posting misinformation 
And I think it's something for us all to pay attention to in this time. Well, first of all, in a Mercury retrograde time, it's a good time to reflect on this concept. But then in general, this is a time of great propaganda. And I think we can think about that in terms of like, you know, politics and all these kind of crazy things that are happening, but also in terms of like how we might put out information that we actually don't know if it's accurate or not, you know, and we're all, we all do it. Everybody does it over the course of their lives frequently. So it's something to seriously consider. And again, Mercury retrograde is a great time for that. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. So underlying point is a few things, just that Mercury retrograde, it's not the only thing going on. There's other things going on in the sky. So there's like a Mars retrograde happening right now as well. And that's huge. There's, you know, Mars squaring Saturn. Um, there's the pile and up Pluto. Of and Pluto, there's three planets in Capricorn can forming a triple conjunction right now, like Saturn, Pluto, and Jupiter. So astrology is more complex, especially mundane astrology, where there's so many different moving pieces and it's applying to you know the entire globe instead of one individual. Um, so there's that. Um, there's different, even though there's a very wide spectrum of different ways that Mercury retrograde can work out that we've just outlined, um, some of them will be more pronounced during certain retrogrades, like um, technological issues during this one with Mercury stationing retrograde and opposing Uranus three times. Or earlier this year, <clears throat> I think it was like February and March, there was a Mercury retrograde in Pisces conjunct Neptune. And there are some of the issues with miscommunication or disinformation or misunderstandings or different things like that, I think were more prominent, right? Oh, yeah. And also more psychologically, anxiety, a sense of overwhelm, a sense of like helplessness and hopelessness. Mm. Whereas this Mercury retrograde, because of Uranus's involvement, I think is much more associated with like impatience, the kind of anxiety that is related to impatience and, mm -hmm. you know, an irritability of like, I just need things to change. I need, I need them to move along. Um, and I would also add to that because of those markers that we saw at the start of the, the retro shade and the end of the retro shade, um, we're also looking at like Mercury opposite Mars, Mercury squared to Saturn and the implications of it, which call for kind of a sense of consequences for what you do or what you don't do. Um, so within all of this, you know, Mercury is, is maybe egging us on in a way. And there will be a time for consequences and it will come quickly, you know, because I really do think that when Mercury forms a square to Saturn in the retro shade, we will see consequences for what, for our actions, not just our attitudes, which is more classically Mercury. Um, so I think this is a really impactful and important uh, Mercury retrograde. And again, you know, I keep on wanting to kind of like bring in that Mars retrograde because I can't help myself. But ignoring that as much as I can, I still think it's a very impactful uh, retrograde. And the fact that Mars is retrograde at the same time makes it more kind of action oriented and actionable mm -hmm. for better or worse. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. All right. Let's talk about um, when will Mercury retrograde be important for you personally? So not all, that's another piece of misinformation, I think, or a misunderstanding that goes around as a result of Mercury becoming more prominent as a concept is the misassumption mis that um, every time Mercury goes retrograde, that it's going to be personally relevant for you. And that's not always necessarily the case, but instead some Mercury retrogrades are more important for certain people and others are less important. Or sometimes like a Mercury retrograde will happen and you will get some of those classic things in your life, like things will go haywire and there'll be miscommunications or something like that will happen. Other times you'll have a retrograde happen and it'll come and go and, and not 
it won't be like anything to write home about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that's important that people understand that. Um, what are some ways in which a Mercury retrograde can be more important for a person, or how could you tell as an astrologer when a Mercury retrograde is going to be more personally important for them versus when it's not? Mm-hmm. Um, for me as an astrologer, it's always how it directly impacts planets in your chart. So not just your sun you know, and the degree of your sun. But this is where we we turn to the the ephemeris and we turn to the math of astrology because, you know, for if you have something, you know, in your birth chart at 11 degrees of a cardinal sign or 12 degrees of a cardinal sign, 25 degrees um, of a cardinal sign, because we're looking at those two Libra stations, right? Um, at those two individual degrees, it's going to be um, a, a strong aspect you know, and it doesn't have to just be your sun. So when Mercury or any retrograding planet directly transits, activates a transit to your birth chart, you are going to feel that. And it's going to not just impact that one point, but it's going to reverberate and trigger all of your natal aspects. So as an example, if you have, let's say, you know, something at 11 degrees or 12 degrees of Libra, um, when Mercury crosses that point, it's going to not just activate, let's say it was Saturn, it wouldn't just activate your Saturn, it would activate all of your natal aspects to and from Saturn. And I think that that's where, again, this kind of like interconnectedness of astrology is a really important point to hammer in because um, you might be like, well, why are all these things happening right now? And it's because Mercury is transiting over a point in your chart that is got a lot of reverberations to it. Um, and so this is where a more nuanced kind of understanding of your chart is important. And I also will say to that, you know, when I'm scared, when I'm like having a lot of feelings, I consult other astrologers, not because I can't don't technically have the data in my little noggin, but because we are not objective when we are the subject of a thing. And so this is, you know, something you and I touched on in the last time I was on your podcast is in the context of relationships, we cannot be objective observers when we are subject to our own relationships. And I really, I think that's the mercurial rule is we are subjective in the realm of mercury. Um, and so it's, you know, it's good to seek counsel, I think, during retrogrades, and it's good to not abandon discretion during those retrogrades uh, because we might not understand the cancel or that person themselves may be influenced by the retrograde in a way we don't understand. So I hope that like isn't like contradicty, but it's it's the truth is in the nuance, right? Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. So um, that's probably the primary rule then for figuring out if a Mercury retrograde is going to be important for you is seeing if it is going to station either station retrograde or station direct on an important, especially personal planet in your chart, or let's say on the degree of one of your angles, like the degree of your ascendant or the degree of your midheaven or what have you. So this Mercury retrograde, for example, stationed retrograde at 11 Scorpio. So if you have something at 11 Scorpio, like let's say the degree of your ascendant- Scorpio, not Libra. Sorry about that. That's all right. Uh, So if if you have something at 11 Scorpio, like your ascendant, then that retrograde could be more important for you because part of the reason for that is Mercury is just sitting at that degree for like a week. And um it's sort of like, you know, with chimes, like if you had like let's say a chime and you just hit it once, you you get the little bing and then it eventually dissipates, you know, pretty quickly. 
But if you just like kept hitting that one chime for like a week, that's kind of what Mercury stationing on that degree is like. That's a great way of putting it. It's like just being in a windstorm, just a damn windstorm. It's just hitting on that that chime. That's a very good way of putting it. Right. I will add one thing to that though. The way I practice astrology, I would say if if Mercury or any planet hits an outer planet, I see that as a very big deal. And I see that as triggering your psychology in a much deeper way. So for me, any kind of a personal planet forming a transit to an outer planet in the in the nativity, I'm going to pay a great deal of attention to that um, because I find it really triggers our deepest inherited issues. Um, so I'll just kind of add that to the mix of our conversation. Totally. And that's a really good point, especially in a time like this where Mercury is opposing Uranus at nine, because let's say somebody has their natal Uranus. I know a few people that have their natal Uranus at like 10 degrees of Scorpio. That means um, Uranus itself has been opposing that, and they're getting their <laughs> transiting Uranus opposition to their natal Uranus during that time. And then Mercury swoops in and activates that at the same time, yeah. both opposing transiting Uranus and conjoining their natal Uranus. So it's like activating other long term outer planet transits that are happening at the same time occasionally. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also, if we're talking about, let's say you have like Saturn at 11 degrees of Scorpio, you know, you're your version of reality is going to be triggered here. You know, if you're going to deal with consequences in a way that somebody who's dealing with Uranus touching their Venus, I'm sorry, Mercury touching their Venus, it's going to be totally different than if it's touching your Saturn or your Uranus, right? So I think it's it's really important to know that we're not all what is that expression? Some, you know, it's like we're all in the same boat, but we're not all on the same in the same conditions on that boat, you know, whether it's right. the Titanic or not, we're not on the same, all having the same conditions on the same boat. And so some people might be on the part of the boat where they're like, oh yeah, technically I know Mercury's retrograde. I tripped on my way over here, but I'm fine. Uh, and other people are just like, you know, taking taking a spoon and trying to get water out of the damn dinghy. You know, right. so I, I think it's important. To, you can tell I've never seen the movie or read the books or anything. I don't know anything about the Titanic. I just oh, that, know that was your synopsis of the Titanic. Yeah, that was the, <laughs> was, there the... was something with like sex and class, and that was all I got. It's like a, okay. you know, people people like that guy, DiCaprio. Eh, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. You're not yeah, a Kate Winslet fan, at least Kate Winslet. No, oh. no, no, okay, no, no, no. I couldn't pick her out of a lineup, but okay. I have seen a lot of things that reference the Titanic, and I know enough to know that we're all on it now. So it felt okay. like a, an apt uh, kind of. I like sorry. that. That was that was pretty good. Pretty appropriate. Thank you very much. Thank you very um, much. Thank you. All right. So it's the if you have anything natally at the degree that Mercury stations retrograde at. Additionally, not just where it stations retrograde, but then if you look three weeks later at what degree it's going to station direct. If you have anything natally there. For example, here it's going to station direct at 25 Libra. Then, if you have a natal planet at 25 Libra, then it could be important uh, to you personally, or more more personally important to you than it should be otherwise for like other people. Yeah. Uh, there's another technique that I use to determine if Mercury retrograde is going to be important, which is called annual perfections. Do you use that timing technique no. at all? No, I don't. Mm -mm. Okay, so it's it's really simple. All you do is like figure out your rising sign or what sign your ascendant is in. Whatever sign that is, that sign and the planet that rules that sign is activated for the first year of your life. Then once you have your first birthday, a year into your life, it then moves to the next sign in zodiacal order, so downwards. Uh, then that sign and its ruler becomes activated. 
So you just count one sign per year from the ascendant for each year of the person's life, and whatever sign is activated, the planet that rules that sign will become more important for you in that year of your life. So if in that technique it ever comes to Gemini or Virgo, it will activate Mercury in that year. And I've seen that people that have Mercury activated in that year will tend to experience the retrogrades as being more important mm. than other years of their life. And this ends up kind of explaining why sometimes it's like a Mercury retrograde will come and go and like nothing happens and you don't know what why everyone's freaking out about it. But mm. other years, like you'll have a Mercury retrograde and you'll just get nailed and um, for some reason, it'll be like a big turning point for you for some reason, and that's that tends to be why. Interesting. That's really great. Yeah, I, I, um, I am a big fan of the kiss method, the keep it simple, stupid method, or mm. if you're a water sign, keep it simple, sweetheart, because you know we're not all asshole Capricorns. So I, I'm a big fan of it. So I, I have, I've heard about perfections. I actually don't use progressions either. I mean, really? I have second, yeah. secondaries. I I mean, I have. I I spent a couple years using them. But in the end, what I found was that their presentation sometimes would be meaningful, sometimes would be really subtle. Mm. But that in the context of a consultation, everything I need is really in the birth chart. And so I, you know, and again, I know I'm like a poster child of a triple Capricorn right now where I'm just like, keep it simple. But that's just like, it, it really works for my practice. And I, I'm really a fan of going incredibly deep into the fundamentals instead of gathering too many details, which is actually, you know, an interesting thing um, for me to say, given that I have Mercury and Aquarius squared by Uranus at the top of my chart, you'd think that I'd be obsessed with a million details because that Mercury placement, like technically speaking, would make me somebody who would go into a lot of details and maybe even be scattered with those details. But this is where we look at the complexity of the chart. And I have other things, including but not limited to Sun, Moon, and Rising and Cap that kind of bring me back to fundamentals and being really interested in in a really deep way in the details of those fundamentals. So that's, um, you know, I share this in the context of our mercurial conversation because in order to really understand astrology, it's important to understand one's own cognition you know, and to understand the motive of your Mercury and the modality, like your, the not modality, the uh, I'm trying to say like the the kind of way that your Mercury mobilizes is maybe the what I'm trying to get at. Um, and and to understand it in the context of your chart, because Mercury on its own is going to tell a story, but in the context of your chart, the story changes. Like inevitably it changes. And I think for astrology students, it's really important to know that for several years, you're just going to think of the pieces. That's all you can hold is the pieces. In order to truly learn the pieces, you have to focus on the pieces. And then at a certain point, you get to synthesize those pieces. So for some people like you, you can you have a capacity to synthesize a million data points. <laughs> you're so good at that. Not me, man. I'm like, I'm going to focus in, you know, and, and, and it's just about knowing yourself and not comparing yourself to other astrologers, but instead like being the kind of astrologer that is that you were meant to be, you know what I mean, based on your own birth chart. So I know it's a little bit of a of a departure, but eh, it's kind of connected. So no, I mean it roll. speaks to what different astrologers focus on, and and part of your focus is sitting down with clients and talking through and understanding their psychology and their internalization of the process. And the process itself is like understanding the birth chart and how they're how it speaks to their psychological and emotional and like relational dynamics in their life and you're not trying to like 
predict when somebody's going to win the lottery or something like that. That's not your orientation. So correct in that context, like just speaking to and looking at the birth chart itself is what's primary and fundamental to you, and that's your main orientation. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And you know, more and more, I am practicing mundane astrology. But even in something like, I just uh, released a talk I gave on the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Mm. Um, it's fascinating. And uh, I mean, I'm not saying my talk was fascinating. I'm saying like the topic is fascinating. And I pulled charts um, from like 1700s and looked forward, um, you know, up until like 2030, um, using that one particular chart as like a centerpiece of looking at social justice movements in the U.S. um, and also movements of oppression and systemic oppression and understanding how the collective is made up of individuals acting out of their flight or fright mechanisms, acting out of self-preservation as much as it is acting out of a call to justice and understanding for me, the kind of psychological foundation of each individual has everything to do with how society functions in times of change or tumult, Mm -hmm. which is, I know, again, I've taken us away from Mercury. That's my specialty, divert the topic, sorry. But I I, I really like, I, I feel so passionate about this is understanding that as an astrologer and as well as a person, wherever you start doesn't have to be where you rest forever, even if you're somebody like me who spent, you know, 23 years only doing one thing, which is, you know, counseling people, focusing on helping them with their innermost life and making choices from a healthy place, you know, and it's transitioning into more mundane work. But my foundation is is really in human psychology. So it's, it's like, I think it's really important to... Um, to know that whatever it is that you're looking at in your own birth chart, whether it's Mercury, the complexity of it, whatever it is, you have a whole lifetime to change and grow in your practice or in your embodiment of your birth chart. And it's just, I don't know, for me, it's really cool. And because I'm talking to you and I talk to so many other younger astrologers, I feel like it's an important thing for me to always reiterate. It's like, you're we change. Our charts change with us. We change. And holding space for that and and to use your word, which is the perfect word for Mercury, having flexibility with your own self, with others, uh, with kind of like your like slow times and your fast times, I think is a really valuable thing for all humans. And it's a useful application of astrology. You know, it's like a great tool, bar none uh, tool for, for figuring those things out and giving yourself kind of some space and some grace to do that. Yeah, that's a really good point that you'll go through different phases as an astrologer and maybe different eras of like what you're interested in and focused on. And the field is so vast that there's something for everybody to focus on. And they may even change focuses at different points uh, during the course of their life. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I absolutely see that. All right. So there's last section or two. Let's try to squeeze in. How are you doing for time? Like, do you need to go? We like start an hour late. I know you need to. <laughs> No, I'm okay. Let's do this. Let's do this. We, you know, that's okay. what we do. We're here. We're here. All right. All right. Let's do okay. it. So, one of the last things when to do stuff versus when to delay. So, when should you try to reschedule versus when should you go with the flow? Um, you know, I guess we've talked about this a little bit, uh, but I, I wanted to bring it up as an important thing to speak to generally to like the public or people with like a little bit of Mercury retrograde knowledge, but not super advanced of. You know, you get different um, advice from different people, or just depending on what sources you look at. And I feel like there's 
there's like a healthy version of like mercury retrograde knowledge and there's probably like an unhealthy or even detrimental version of mercury retrograde knowledge and it's hard to i don't know if there's any hard and fast rules about knowing you know exactly what's healthy versus what's not but mm-hmm. um maybe exploring that in terms of possibilities a little bit just in terms of like yeah at what point is putting off doing something crucial and sensible and appropriate versus at what point is it going too far or almost like being neurotic to put everything in your life on hold for like three weeks? I think uh, this is such an important question because really what we're talking about is common sense, right? right? And there's no astrology for common sense. You just got to practice, you know? And I think sure. I think that it's really important you know, if it's like I have a meeting with somebody about this project we started and, you know, it takes a lot of focus and it, there's no time frame on it, but, you know, she really wants to do it. So I should do it. Yeah, you can put that one off. If it's like I need to buy a car, my car is broken. I am walking everywhere. Uh, I shouldn't buy a car because it's Mercury retrograde. Buy a goddamn car. Just read the contract. Don't just assume everyone's cool. Like shop. You know, like there was a really funny, I have a really funny example of that from earlier this year. Uh, Bear River, uh, who was on the podcast earlier this year, had to buy a car during a Mercury retrograde. And he, it was just during the start of the retrograde, and he tried his best to like pick a good chart for it. Um, but he had to just go ahead and do it. And he did it and he got the car. He thought it was going to be all right. But then a few weeks later, the um, dealership wrote him and said that they were reneging on the deal and they were taking it back and they wanted to repossess the car due to some like bizarre thing that I've never heard before where the dealership just decided like they couldn't finance it or like something weird some, some weird... fine print bullshit of mercury yeah. retrograde yeah but like luckily he said after driving for a few weeks he decided he didn't really like the car anyway so he's kind of fine giving it back and then he got a different one elsewhere so that's a that's a retrograde example and it's a perfect retrograde example and it's a perfect example of how like you got to live your life you know i think that that's really like you have to live your life and if it's if mercury is retrograde i mean i have done everything you're not supposed to do i've had major purchases i've signed contracts i've started businesses i've done literally everything you're not supposed to do during a mercury retrograde and usually something goes a little off not always but usually something goes off and i say of course it did it's a retrograde. I'm a genius. I knew that. And I just deal with it. And I think that that's the thing is like, you can, you can wait for the perfect time and you can cast charts for the perfect moment. And what does that do? That's the thing to really ask is like, what does that do? Because if you're trying to get ahead of problems, but you're not learning the lesson, you're just going to have to deal with that problem sooner or later anyways. There's a reason why Mercury goes retrograde. There's a reason why we have delays. It's to teach us how to cope. So learn to cope with problems, learn to cope with delays, learn to cope with contracts, learn to cope with communication, be a better listener, be a better reader or speaker or whatever it is that you're learning. And I think that this is the thing that people miss is that these things happen for a fucking reason and it's an annoying experience. But just know that basically if you can avoid incurring consequences that you're unwilling to cope with, that's great. But otherwise... Just live your life and have common sense. And if you are a person without common sense, then be meticulous in reviewing contracts or agreements. That's my that's my take on it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I think there's like a version of retrograde Mercury retrograde that's just annoying and sort of pointless or doesn't have any apparent rhyme or reason to it, and you just have to like deal with it. But there's also a version sometimes that I've seen of um that by doing the process, you make one attempt towards the beginning of the retrograde and you try to do something 
and it fails, and you have to go back to the drawing board, and then you have to try it again. But usually, the second time you try it, it's always better, and your attempt at whatever you've tried is better because it's more informed, and you've had more time to think about it and decide what you really want and what's really important to you. And um, you end up pulling it off and executing it better by the end of the retrograde than you would have if the first attempt had gone through. And in that way, the retrograde and the struggle, as you said, sort of leads to growth and improvement that you wouldn't have had otherwise, even mm -hmm. if it was frustrating during the process. Yeah, that's it. And th this is the thing is, it is understandable to want to avoid pain, and it's understandable to want to avoid drama and problems, but it's a misuse of astrology to try to avoid living life. You know, to get away from having to live life and the messiness of life. That's just not how it works. We're not machines looking for optimal function. We are messy, disgusting meat suits. I mean, I'm sorry. A lot of people don't think of us as gross meat suits. I'm such a 12th house person that I'm like, just give me spirit. I don't need body. But, you know, we're a mess. We're supposed to be a mess. You know, it's something I just said on my podcast the other day is like, bodies are made to break. They are flawed and they are meant to be flawed. The human condition exists inside of the human body and it is flawed. It's meant to be flawed. So it's about how we learn how to be in our flaws and be in our struggles. That is the human condition. And astrology is a really valuable tool for developing skills and living in accordance with your own chart instead of comparing yourself to somebody who has a completely different chart than you and trying to be like them. It's unrealistic, you know. I get emails from people sometimes being like, you know, how do you do this thing? Like, I, you know, whatever consistent thing I do. And I'm like, well, just be born a triple Capricorn and you too shall be really consistent, <laughs> you know. Right. It's like there's just, you know, you you we all have our own charts and for better or worse, right? So I I think some of Mercury retrograde on a on a real like big level, some of what Mercury retrograde does is it allows us, it prompts us to look back at who we've chosen to be, what we've thought, what we've said, what we've done, how we've listened, how we've engaged, so that we can review so that our progress moving forward is better. That's really why it happens. Now that said, watch me curse my butt off when, you know, some technical issue emerges because of Mercury retrograde. But that's, you know, there's like the the micro and then there's the macro. Yeah. There's gotta be room for both. So but yes. it brings up the issue and there's no, unfortunately, to answer everybody's question who sent in this question, there's no really clear answer, dividing line between when you should definitely try to delay something or put something off or like absolutely not do something during a Mercury retro versus when you shouldn't put your life on hold for three weeks, you know, three times a year whenever Mercury goes retrograde. So some people sent in questions like, is everything started during a retro doomed? No, so the, the answer, answer is answer, no. Answer is yeah. obviously no. Yeah. Um, the other one that's kind of like that was um, somebody sent in a question that said, "Is it bad to start relationships during a Mercury retrograde?" And another person, yeah. So, so those are actually we'll stick with those two. So, those are the types of questions that sometimes come up. Is people hear so many negative things about Mercury retrogrades that they they start thinking you shouldn't do or shouldn't try to do anything during those times. And sometimes we'll like not schedule things like major things like weddings or or what have you for one. Where do you come down when it comes to like things like that? Okay. Here's the first thing about that. Okay. Weddings. To me, and I know I'm in the minority with this again, but 
The decision to get married is when a marriage begins, IMO, not the wedding. A wedding is a party. And, you know, like in yesteryear, I think it was different. But now it's like six months to plan and building a budget and who sits where and like all this bullshit. Right. And so I actually believe the engagement, the, the decision to commit to marriage is the is when I want to cast a chart. I don't mm. care about casting a chart for a wedding. Now, casting a chart for a very expensive party, I'll do that. But I actually don't think that's the beginning of a marriage. So that's like an aside maybe, okay. but worth stating. Sure. Be- because like you can, let's say, fall ill and then you can finally make it to the doctor and get a diagnosis. I'm not going to cast a chart for the diagnosis unless I want to know about the diagnosis. If I'm looking at the life of the illness, I'm casting the chart for when you fell ill. Same concept. Anyways, so that's my little aside on that. But so let's say starting a relationship. So would you be like, sorry, I'm not going to start a relationship with you because Mercury's no. retrograde? No, hell no, not. hell okay. no. But I would say I think this person is X, Y, and Z. Let's see what happens after the retro shade post retrograde. You know, I might realize that actually they're a big fat liar. I might realize that they're, you know, uh, uh, the the cutest cutie that ever cuted. Like I I don't know yet. This is the thing is you don't have enough uh, vetted information during a retrograde on the surface. And then on top of it, you're not supposed to know that stuff at the beginning anyways. So mm. I personally don't, I don't, I would never not date someone because of their sun sign. And I would never not date someone because it's a retrograde, not a Venus, not a Mars, not a Mercury for me. How about you? Yeah. No, I mean, I think that something that's important for non-astrologers or like new astrologers to know is sometimes things like a retrograde station or let's say an eclipse or something like that are just markers that something important is happening. And so for some people, like Mercury stationing retrograde in your seventh house could be just indicating an important marker that an important relationship development of some sort is happening for you at that time. And if there's other positive things that are also coinciding with that, that could be the start of a really major relationship. And maybe there's like some bumpiness at the beginning or maybe like, you know, you run into issues text messaging each other and you think that they're blowing you off for three weeks and then later you get back in touch. And so then maybe there's some bump in the road like that, but it's not something that you need to necessarily shy away from just because Mercury's retrograde. Agreed. Yeah. And also, if a relationship is viable, a retrograde's not going to stop it. It's just not going to stop it. So it's about, again, common sense. When you get to know somebody, it takes time to truly know someone. You know, it takes time to form a friendship. It takes time to build up intimacy. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of time to build up chemistry or fantasy, but it takes a lot of time to build a relationship. And so there's no retrograde that lasts long enough to impede your capacity to get to know someone in a reasonable amount of time because retrogrades simply don't last that long. It's just, you know, again, a common sensey moment for for us all. And I think, you know, when I say that it's not to in any way like belittle or shame anyone who's asking that question, everyone asks that question because of the miss. It's because we put things in sound bites and people turn to astrology for answers when they're scared. And so if you're scared of starting a new relationship, I mean, every retrograde, I get that question, don't you? At least at least a couple times. Like, should I do X, you know? The answer right. is yes. Well, and one of the ones is because Mercury retrogrades sometimes have to do with re- reviewing things from the past or like reconnection, it can sometimes be getting back in touch with somebody that you haven't talked to in a while or sometimes reestablishing connections with like past um, friends or past lovers or things like that. And sometimes 
that comes up as a question, but again, sometimes all the Mercury retrograde is signifying is revisiting that, and that doesn't necessarily have to mean it's good or bad one way or the other. It just indicates the revisiting itself. Yeah, I agree. And also, a good rule of thumb for interpersonal relationships is if you're re- reconnecting with an ex, ex-friend, ex-lover, whatever, if they haven't changed and or if you haven't changed, then nothing has changed except for you're both older. So I think it's really about the review is not it's not supposed to be masturbatory. It's supposed to it's supposed to be investigative. You know, that's the nature of a review brought on by a retrograde. It's upsetting for a reason. You know, we're, the upset is supposed to spur action and that action is it's like a active reflection. So if you are dealing with an ex or an old friend come back, really look at your own patterns. Really look at how are you listening to what they're actually showing you of themselves? Like how are you learning from the mistakes of your past or the heartaches of your past or whatever it is? And again, this is a common sense activity that can be done for anyone at any stage of life for free without astrology, psychology, or, you know, really good lipsticks for your sign. So- Totally. So um, that actually brings up next and one of the final questions from on Twitter. Shout out to Eighth House Siren who sent this in saying, What are the things that are beneficial to do during a retro? So we just talked about one of those, like like reflecting, revisiting um, things, but also um, not reanalysis, but um, reassessing your current situation, whether it's in like a relationship or a job or whatever else to see if it's suiting your needs or if it needs to be like recalibrated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that's the biggest plus of a retrograde. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't think the primary way most astrologers think of retrogrades is like, it's so great, <laughs> you know? I just am really trying to focus on what's constructive in it mm-hmm. because otherwise it's just like, you know, annoying. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um so let's see if I got through everything. Um, there's a, some other miscellaneous ones, but we'll leave that out. I had a few. You don't have any good, really good Mercury retrograde like stories of like the Mercury retrograde examples that really stuck with you that you never forget by chance, do you? Anything oh like yeah, that? sure, 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 sure. Um, I, <laughs> you know, actually, you're, you're having here, like flashbacks right I, now. I, I am. Did you? Could you feel it? Could you feel it? I've, I could see I mean, like looking off into the distance, and I there know. was like a. I've signed contracts and had them really backfire on me, like really okay, backfire. Yeah. Um, right. You know, I, I I have seen <laughs> terrible things happen during Mercury retrograde. Nothing that is irretractable, nothing that ruins lives, but just right. like all the stupid shit you could imagine. I have had Mercury retrogrades that hit my chart directly and I lose my voice. I have mm. had Mercury retrogrades... Uh, I had one, I don't remember what year it was, and I don't remember what was going on astrologically, but every single day, someone came to my office when it wasn't their appointment, they got the wrong month. Like every single day of the retrograde. Uh, I was like- They gave you the wrong birth data? No, no, no. It was like they were scheduled because I I was booking out clients like six months, nine months in advance. So somebody would have an appointment with me, let's say it was like in December of 2020, but -hmm. they would show up in October of 2020 on the same day at the same time. So I'd be with a client and then I would have a retrograde panic where I'd be like, which one of these people is the person I'm supposed to be talking to? (laughs) It was awful. I Another Mercury retrograde time. Oh my God, you'll appreciate this. I lost... 2000 charts out of my solar fire. Boop. Wow. God. Oh yeah. Computer crashes. Yeah. 
It was awful. It was tragic. And it taught me the value of backing up my computer, which I still don't really do uh, sure. because I'm an idiot. So <laughs> uh, I've had lots of Mercury retrograde problems. But again, life, you know? Sure. How about right. you? Um. Yeah, I did have one like last year that was funny when you mentioned signing contracts. I had to sign a contract for a new a lease on a new um, apartment last year, and we had to do it during this Mercury retro because our old place was ending. So we're looking at this place, and the biggest thing for me is because I do a podcast like four to six times a month, it needed to be quiet. So we asked the person showing us, like, is this place quiet? Like, is there anything we need to know about? We even asked, went so far as to ask to speak to the previous tenant who had already moved out. And they assured us the place was quiet. We weren't going to have any problems. We move in. We sign the contract during Mercury retrograde, and then just like a few months later, I think it was actually during the next Mercury retrograde, they start setting up um, um, poles outside the entire building and scaffolding, and begin like a year and a half of like construction that was just like every day oh. from nine a, nine a.m. to five p.m. And we were screwed, and we were stuck in the in the contract and. Uh, yeah, that so that was one of my funny like Mercury retrograde like contract you know snafu That's stories. Awful, and also just word to the wise anyone listening, anyone who has Mercury in Scorpio, especially if activated by Saturn in the birth chart, does not like sounds that are out of uh, the schedule of sound, like after nine p.m. Before 7 a.m., like whatever it is for you, it's like you don't want to fuck with a Mercury and Scorpio person and how they like to protect themselves from outside noise. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So, other than that, I mean, I try to collect ones. Me and my friend Patrick Watson uh, collect like historical Mercury retrograde examples. I have a few on the that astrology charming dictionary. charming British man. Yes, he is very charming, very, very witty. Um, so one of the old ones when we did a we used to do a political astrology blog, but one of the funny ones was back when Obama was first elected in, in 2008, when he was um did this swearing in the, the oath of office on January 20th, 2009, he um Mercury was retrograde and all the astrologers were commenting on it at the time. And Roberts, the head Supreme Court justice, ended up misspeaking and he like Changed up some words in the oath accidentally, and it led to them having to redo the oath of office the next day just to be safe. And all of the Mercury, the astrologers were like going crazy at the time about what a Mercury retrograde thing redoing the oath of office was at yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, elsewhere, like a few few years later, when they launched the Obamacare website and finally rolled that out oh. a few years after it came into being. The website was launched, I think, really close to Mercury stationing retrograde, and it just had it was marred by like serious technological problems that were not worked out. They ended up hiring, oh. bringing in another company, and like doing all this. It stuff was over a the next mess. It was, it a was mess. like so, a poster child for what not to do during a Mercury retrograde. That yeah, experience. So that, yeah, that was a whole Mercury retrograde thing as well. Was the rollout of Obamacare website? It was eventually fixed by the time. I think later, once Mercury stationed direct, they started getting it under control. And once it left the post-retrograde shadow, I think it was in pretty good shape. But it took a while. And then finally, other ones were like the website Patreon in December of 2017. They announced that they were going to change the ways that fees were structured for their users. And this announcement was made three days after Mercury had stationed retrograde in Sagittarius conjunct Saturn. And it was like <laughs> immediate, immediately met with like widespread opposition from users and eventually on December 13th, a week or two later, Patreon announced that they were retracting the previous plan and they said, we messed up, we're sorry, we're not rolling out the fee change. 
So they had to take it back and like go back to the drawing board, basically. Wow. Yeah. So those are just a few little anecdotes, a little example to give you an idea of what we're talking about and to give you some like concrete ways that this sometimes plays out, not just in personal lives, but also in the lives of like larger entities and like organizations and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I think it's really important if you're listening and you're an astrology student to really notice that shit happens. It's how you cope with it. It's how you recover. It's how you engage and what you learn. It's not about avoiding shit. It's about coping with it, you know, intelligently and effectively. So, so don't fear the retrograde uh, if fear sparks uh, a lack of common sense. Definitely. Yeah. For me, fear sparks a lot of common sense, so I enjoy fearing things, but that's not for everyone. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, all right. So to, to wrap this up and bring this to completion, so originally I was going to like then say, okay, let's talk about the current retrograde. We've kind of done that, but we are we're going into the the second half of the current Mercury retrograde, and we're going to see what happens on election day, especially this year, and if it's going to be like a repeat of twenty years ago when Mercury did the same thing stationing, or if. It's not, um, you know. There's a lot, lot going on right now over the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, if I'm being honest, um, mm-hmm. I am more concerned about the Mars retrograde in the context of the election, sure, than I am about Mercury because Mercury retrograde, it's a boner again, a sad boner, but a boner. Um, <laughs> uh, and and we've coped with it before. You know, it's recounts. My concern is violence, uh, you know, and I think we have a lot of reasons in the U.S. and abroad to be frightened of um, kind of the presentation of toxic masculinity and violence. Um, and violence is something that doesn't just happen physical with physical harm. You know, there's a lot of ways of talking about violence, like it is an act of violence to intimidate or, or coerce or, or you know, put hands on, but putting hands on another is not the only form of violence that exists, right? And so I think it is it is a concern for me to see these two things kind of at once because the double whammy could create so much chaos that um, it sparks collective problems, but also on a more personal level, how each individual responds to fear and uncertainty, it throws them into their Pluto, right? It throws them into their flight or fight mechanisms or fear, Saturn. You know, we can talk about it from lots of the outer planets perspective, but from my perspective, uh, most people become self-interested and conservative in the face of their fears. And if we have scary election stuff, um, people will be more self-interested and more conservative. That's my concern. And this is a time for being more um, engaged and empathetic because having this stellium, and I know I'm taking this away from Mercury, please don't get mad at me, but um, you can get mad. It's okay. It's okay. I'm okay with you being a little mad. Um, but uh, the, the thing about this stellium that we have with Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto in Cap is that there is a risk that we compromise our humanity while we seek to find answers to our, our our systems. And that is further reiterated with, you know, Mercury is going to be in, uh, is it going to be in Scorpio or Libra? Now I'm scared I'm going to fuck it up. It's going to station it goes, direct in Libra, 24, in Libra, 25 right, Libra. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then Mars is retrograde still in Aries. So 
it's engaging with that Capricorn stellium. So we can't see it as separate. And also it's the individual versus us, like it's me versus us, right? And it's how that shows up in public. So I think that these things are all very concerning. And to look at Mercury retrograde in the context of the election, kind of like in isolation, is to miss the whole story. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's very helpful, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's so much more that we could say about this chart. I mean, we could spend the next two hours talking about this chart. You know, we could, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and maybe we'll have to come back again and talk about it more, especially once we get closer to or once election day happens. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be obviously reviewing and reflecting as a country on our election, our electoral process. Like, is this working out or is it not working out? There was a lot of that 20 years ago. I mean, mm -hmm. you remember like the hanging chads in yes. Florida and a lot of stuff like that. There's a lot of questions about like, you know, how is voting working and is this antiquated? Do we need to update certain systems? And the I'm Supreme sure Court did update something. Didn't the Supreme Court have to like weigh in on uh on this? I think something like that happened. Yeah. I mean, it, what happened was it was like up in the air for like six weeks, and then eventually they were doing a recount in Florida. Of the votes, and part of it was due to that hanging Chad thing of like what counts as like a correct a vote, or if if you don't staple the paper all the way through, is it still a vote or is it not? And all of this just um, nonsense, sort of like fine details things. But then eventually, I think what happened in December of two thousand was the Supreme Court stopped the recounts, which meant that if they stopped the recount, then it would automatically go to Bush, and that's how everything was sort of decided. So there's going to be that. There's also going to be reflecting. I mean, on obviously uh, November third, as a Mercury retrograde stationing direct and coming out of the retrograde is sort of retro uh, reflecting on the past four years and sort of how politics and how the country has gone and what where the electorate is, like what voters decide. You know, is that the direction they want to keep going, and and is the reflective period coming out of that that we. Stay the course, or is it that you take something back? Is something changed? Is there a change in direction at that point? Um, is one of the other questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think associated with that is also worth naming that there is greater awareness in the populace of the U.S. since Trump's first election of the Electoral College. I think more people are aware of it now than they were before because of how he took office and how he won. Um, and I should have put quotes on one because we know there was Russian interference in the US election. And so we also know that there are attempts at infiltrating our vote and there's questions um, about the legitimacy of the election that are being posed by the president himself. He's already predicting that it can't be trusted. Um, so there's like a lot of misinformation, mixed information. It's hard to know what to trust. And in a time of chaos where it's not possible to know what to trust, Mercury opposite Uranus in the Mercury retrograde, right. then nothing's true. If we can't trust any truth, then there's no truth. And this kind of chaos is exactly what you don't want during a presidential election when the USPS is being compromised, when we know the Pluto return of the US is coming. Like I could I could create a massive list of like when all of these things in context. So I think that I think that we are going to see a lot of questions and not a lot of answers for a long time, honestly. And, and I think it's important that each individual participate 
you know, in the in the system and to do so in a way where they're conscientious of how their Mars is functioning. Uh, so how we're in, being defensive, you know, how we're being aggressive, how we're standing up for what's right, how we're being courageous. These things are really important, I believe, at this time. Definitely. And in that context, I want to give a shout out to and make sure people visit um, your website at zodiacthevote.com and check out your Mercury Retrograde Survival Guide, where you actually got a really great guide for voting and um, making sure you're registered, hosting a ballot party, and like lots of other things. Like, what are some yeah. of the other things that you go into in this guide? So there's there's like a lot of links within this. Um, there's links for state by state laws for like so you don't have to like try to look at every state. You can just be like Colorado or whatever. Um, there's um, some progressive voter guides if people are looking for. I mean, I don't know how progressive they are. They're more like liberal democratic uh, uh, voter guides. There's what to do if somebody's perpetrating uh, intimidation at your polling place, how to find your polling place. Um, there's what clear step-by-step -step instructions on how to fill out your ballot. Also, kind of adjacent to the vote, there's um, information about like, if you want to call a senator or a representative, what do you say? We have a video. It's like less than three minutes long about how to do that. Um, we also have, of course, information about Mercury retrograde, Mercury station direct on the third. There's articles about the two mm -hmm. um, on the on this website, but there's just you know so many resources, and we tried to make it in the style of horoscopes. This is intended to be accessible to horoscope readers, people who are like, oh, I use like you know whatever CoStar, but I don't really uh, know how to read a political website. Cool, we got you covered. And then also, if you're like interested in seriously nerding out, I uploaded um, my talk on, on the astrology tab of that website that I gave at the Astrology Summit recently about the Voting Rights Act of 1965. I uploaded that talk so you can you know watch it or you can go to my website and you can read it um, so that you can basically see the astrology behind voter suppression and how it's activated now and and kind of the markers of what's coming next. So if you're an organizer, if you're a concerned citizen, if you're in politics, it's a great resource uh, to spur conversation and hopefully research, you know. Um, but, you know, I did it during a Mercury retrograde. So maybe I'll find out something was totally fucked up. But, you know, I mean, I like in that talk was like, I think I said like 12 times, like this could be wrong. You should do your own research, please. You know, because I'm aware that there's two retrogrades. So that margin of error or my capacity to have missed something is greater. So I made allowances for it and I named it. Um, and I'm not, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying like, this is like a way to work with the retrogrades. It's to just be like, Hey guys, I don't know. Like nobody knows it's a retrograde. We'll see, you know. Yeah. Well, I love one of the things that in this checklist and one of the things I love about the checklist is that you kind of give people a guide to not letting Mercury retrograde stop you from voting by giving very simple, like common sense, but what could turn out to be very important advice, like bring an ID, like bring your ID because that may be necessary and required in order to vote, and you don't want to stand in line for like six hours on on election day, get there and then realize that you left your wallet at home or your your purse with your ID at home, and therefore your Mercury retrograde thing be, ends up being like not being able to vote just because you forgot your ID or something like that. Exactly, and like the the instructions around like uh, make sure to put the date on your ballot. Make sure that you use a black or blue pen. Like a lot of people don't know this. A lot of people are first time voters or they've just not voted by mail before. And there's like a lot of small 
things, a very mercurial, detailed things that go into voting, unfortunately. Voting is hard. It shouldn't be hard. I read a ton of politics. I'm really motivated by and interested in social issues and political issues. And I, it took me for damn ever to fill up my ballot and to get my vote in because I was just like doing all this research and cross-referencing lots of websites. A lot of people aren't going to do that. Like a lot of people are just not that interested or they don't have the time and the resources to like whatever. I also live in the state of California where there's a ton of progressive voter guides Um and if you live in a different state, there might not be any or many uh, progressive voter guides if you are also a progressive, which I know lots of people aren't. But, um, you know, it's 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 harder than it should be. And that's by design, you know, and I think that this is something that during this Mercury retrograde, I, you know, what I was really motivated to do with with my partner, Lindsay, was to create something to make it easier for people who are interested in the world and care about the world, but just don't fucking know what to do because it's not intuitive. It's not like everyone should know. It's hard. And having this retrograde means it's harder. And so our ambition was to make it easier, to make it more accessible, to to like take out some of the steps. And I'll say like when you showed the, the screen of the website, Mm -hmm. All of those, like so many of those things are clickable. So you can download it to your phone and bring it with you to the polling place um, as a reminder. You know, there's so many things that you can do um, with this list and they bring you to different pages of the site, yada, yada. So it's really, I, I hope it's valuable for, for people because, yeah, see, and we have like mobilized parties. If you've already voted and you want to get involved and you're like, I don't know how, we have links to volunteer opportunities throughout the country um, that you can get involved with all without leaving your computer in your house. So you're, you know, COVID safe. Um, and so for for me, I'm just really interested in like, okay, so I know Mercury is retrograde. So what are we going to do about it? Let's let's do something about it. And that's really the thing. Oh, look at that. It's our Instagram. Yeah, Did you I love see that. Thank you. Go ahead. If, if you scroll a little bit, you can see the beautiful Tony Howard. He was uh he was facilitating Demetra George's talk. Mm -hmm. And Kent Bai, another great astrologer and uh, podcaster, he emailed me this screenshot he took of Tony uh, in the middle of Demetra's talk wearing one of our T-shirts. Mercury might be retrograde, but my vote isn't. Um, yeah, thank you very much. I love it too. <laughs> I'm, I want to get you in a shirt. You know I do, Chris. I, so I have anyways. ordered a shirt, so if I have it, Woo! I will wear it on the next forecast episode or something like that. I'm looking forward to it. And I appreciate how the this website and this effort on your part, your part and your, and your partner's part shows your philosophy also of being of like being forewarned as forearmed and trying to yes. deal with things like mercury retrograde actively by just trying to anticipate it and do what you can to take the edge off of it instead of just being like well I'm not going to vote cuz mercury's retrograde or something like that that's not right. the answer it's not the answer it's never the answer astrology is so useful for understanding history. I mean, and you know that I've seen I've seen what you you know your project with um Patrick Watson. You guys talk about a lot of history stuff. I mean, I think you do that with other astrologers as well, but I understanding history and politics in the context of astrology makes politics and history interesting. I am up, right. you know, yeah. and and also it makes it it doesn't make it exactly predictable because there's too many people involved to make it exactly predictable. Mm -hmm. But what it does is it tells us like dates to be aware of and strategies that are more likely to be more influential or effective during those dates. And that is a leg up. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, royalty of your used astrologers. 
because we're fucking awesome and we can help things. So I think like I want us astrologers to get more motivated in creating tools and resources for the populace so that we can be more civically minded and actively engaged. So that's a little for the people. Yeah, and and along those lines, actually, um, not just royalty, but um, you know, in the 1980s, Reagan had a private astrologer that he used to give him a leg up for certain things. So it's like, and it worked, part, it, and, and it kind of worked. So, and yeah. part of the response I can already anticipate to some of this is just like, well, if Reagan can use you know astrology to do some of those things and promote some of those things, then I think it's okay for astrologers. On the other end of the spectrum, to try to use astrology to some extent to promote and at least get out the vote, which is was which is what you're doing here. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and 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 also I think it's, you know, my partner has a political background, and we've been working with lots of people who are currently in politics, working for really big names in politics, and what we have found is that they're all into astrology, like all of them. And that's so cool. I mean, not all people, obviously, like all the people we've had contact with have been really into astrology. And so that speaks to what you and I were talking about at the start of our of our conversation is that the as astrology has become more accessible, people are inevitably passionate about it and interested in it across disciplines, you know? And so I think it's, I'll say like, I did an episode of my podcast with, um, with an amazing activist. We talked about the astrology of the ADA. And a week after that episode came out, I got contacted for somebody from somebody who works in the federal government on the ADA. And she expressed that she had learned things from that episode that she didn't know. And she like asked me for help about something. And I was like, this is actually what I want. I want more interdisciplinary conversations, more crowdsourcing of data um, without judgment. It's like, you don't abandon common sense, but like get your insights and strategies where you can. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it's, this is where it's like less of a, where I think we all need to be, you know, competent in order to be effective. And so there's, you know, layers of effectiveness and competency to consider in all things, in politics and astrology and all the things. But I hope that more people get more excited about looking at mundane astrology and looking at the impact of on the collective of individuals that we can trace as astrologers. I mean, we have a really unique tool to trace the impact of collective events on the psyche of individuals, not just the babies being born right now, but the adults that were once adorable babies, you know? So I, obviously I could talk about this for another three hours. No, I mean, that's a great point both to end on, but also great. That, that's going to be the biggest lesson for astrologers of 2020 is just like the importance of mundane astrology and how mundane astrology sometimes is very, very literal, like with COVID and the lockdowns and everything that happened with the pileup in Capricorn and the Mars-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius and the protests that were happening in the spring and early summer when Saturn went into Aquarius and started squaring Uranus, which were, yeah. you know, it was just a preview of next year when that <laughs> aspect actually comes back and goes exact. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've had the more recently, like the Mars retrograde in Aries and squaring the Capricorn stuff. And now we're seeing the re return of um, the COVID numbers like spiking and everything else. And then we're going to get two final major things this year with the Mercury retrograde station on election day, Mars stationing, and then the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction. So if yeah. astrologers learn nothing else from this year, I think the lesson that like mundane astrology is actually important and sometimes very literal yes. is definitely the main takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, I only realized that I was doing mundane astrology uh, after Tony Howard told me I was. 
Mm. I was just like, I'm just doing astrology. He's like, that's mundane. I was like, oh, oh okay, I do a mundane astrology. He was like, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I, he wasn't as rude as I'm being about it. He was actually very supportive and sweet about it. But I also will just say, like, I am terrible at knowing names for things. That is un not relevant to the conversation, but I felt like I had to like personally disclose it because I feel embarrassed. I think I it's better that. to be able to do something and do something well and not be able to label it than be able to label something but not do it very well. So I think you're coming down on the right side of that. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today for this episode and for this discussion. We're at like two and a half hours. So I think maybe we could wind it wind it down. We I had think a whole like safe. <laughs> we, we we it was so funny going into this. We were like, let's record a little like 10 or 15 minute pre-show di discussion on something else that we'll release later. And then we started having like an hour of technical issues <laughs> where the recorders for the first time just weren't working for really no good reason. Mercury and, retrograde reasons, and, that's all. And then we, yeah, Mercury retrograde reasons. And then we started our two and a half hour recording. So thanks for sticking with me for this. Uh, I appreciate it. Where can people find out more information about you and just your work in general? Okay. Well, first of all, you're the only person I would do a podcast episode for two and a half hours with. So thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Literally the only one. Okay. Um, and people can find me all over the intranet, the World Wide Web, if you will. I'm at lovelignato.com. If you're a podcast lover, I have a twice-weekly podcast called Ghost of a Podcast. And uh, you can find that wherever podcasts are heard. And I'm also on Patreon uh, at Jessica Lignato. I'm all over social at Jessica Lignato. Um, and I have a book. It's called Astrology for Real Relationships. It's right back there. Yeah, it's cute. It's pink. It's it's cute and pink and good. It's good. It's good book. Okay. Uh, and then I feel like that's all the things, you know, and then zodiacthevote.com for all your like political stuff. And on zodiacthevote.com, I should say, I don't remember if I said this clearly because it's been two and a half hours. Um, mm. Many astrologers have written for us. And so you're not just going to read my work. You're going to read the work of other great astrologers talking about social and political issues that are heartfelt to them. Um, so, you know, if you're an astrologer or astrology student, it's nice to know that there's like there are writing gigs out there that aren't just about horoscopes, which unfortunately is the bulk of the gigs. But you know, mm. it's nice to know that there's some other gigs. Uh, hopefully, more and more as time progresses. So, definitely, yeah, brilliant. All thanks. right, well, thanks a lot for joining me today. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we hope you understand Mercury retrograde more. Uh, be sure to leave a comment if you have any questions. Uh, check out past episodes of the podcast where Jessica has been on two other times, including once one year ago to talk about her book if you want more information about that. And uh, Otherwise, that's it. So We'll see you again next time. Bye. Special thanks to the patrons who support the Astrology Podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons that are on our producers tier, such as Nate Craddock, Marin Altman, Thomas Miller, Bear River, Catherine Conroy, Michelle Marillot, Christy Moe, and Sumo Kopic. Find out more about how to become a patron at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. Also, thanks to our sponsors this month, which include the AstroGold Astrology app, available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, and also the International Society for Astrological Research, which is hosting an astrology conference August 18th through the 22nd, 2021. Find out more information at isar2020.org. 
as well as the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening May 27th through the 31st, 2021, and you can find out more information about that at norwac.net. Finally, the software we use here on the Astrology Podcast is called Solar Fire Astrology Software, and it's available through alabe.com, and you can get a 15% discount with the promo code AP15.